Hi, this is B. Claymore, and I'm listening to 11 O'Clock Comics. Now. <laughs> wow, fast, fast, fast. A little bit, a little bit. <laughs> we are recording, aren't we? I can't even tell this is happening so quickly. It's like you said something about Mary that rub one out before the big night. Nice. Franks and beans! <laughs> yes. Yes, and this show is brought to you by. Oh, goodness. That's a little too fast. Wow. So like central. Fox ticket. Yeah. It always is, isn't it? I well, think it is. Let's get all, let's get all philosophical here. We can always do the intro at the end. Does the clock ever stop ticking? I don't know. Just because we don't watch the clock, does it not tick? I don't know. Yeah, you uh, this is, pick a particularly this, long intro song this week? Yeah, unfortunately, yes. Awesome. <laughs> Pardon me? Well, no, but that's an option, I guess. Well, this is not the week to talk about it. I'm imploring you both, if you haven't already, and I don't think you have, yeah, to watch the Yodorovsky documentary. No, I, oh, oh, my oh. God. Oh, my God. Is it, is it, is it, what, you he, talked about it? Or is it... Yes. Yeah, he did, he did. He... he, he <laughs> Wait, when? Is that why I, I mean, watched it? Detailed. I, I don't think it was uh, detailed. Like, was it? Uh, about 10, 15 minutes. No, when? For real, dude. Go check the episode list. Oh my god, now I'm David. I'm David. <laughs> I must apologize. I genuinely don't remember that. As a field account change, bitch. Sure, I was there. Maybe I was there. buddy. We, I think we are in the arena of greatness right now. I think you are. Well, anyway, it was don't, just don't look around. It was don't look around. Incredible. All right, three, two, one. Hey, everybody! It's eleven o'clock. Comics episode three hundred and twenty-five. And I'm Vince B. You are Vince B. I am David A. Price. You are, and ow, I'm Argent. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you are not. The Silverback, you are not Argent, you are Jason Wood, everybody, and let's make this quick. Our show is sponsored by Discount Comic Book Service, DCBService.com, pregnant pause, where you can get your funny books and collectibles at massive discounts, such as Dark Horse, Aliens, Fire and Stone, and Prometheus, Fire and Stone. Cover prices of these gems is three dollars and fifty cents. You're going to be able to get them for a dollar seventy-five. The uh, Bumperhead uh, book by Gilbert Hernandez from Drawn and Quarterly. Cover price twenty-one ninety-five. Your price twelve dollars and seven cents. And from um, Pantheon, it's the third chapter in Charles Burns. Um, trilogy that started with crossed out or X'd out, whatever you want to call it. This is Sugar Skull. Cover price $23. Your price $12.65. That's 45% off. Even bigger discounts than Amazon. It's crazy. DCBService.com. Go to them. Do it. Go to them. I'm drinking Pepe Mac. Uh, I am drinking in honor of our guest, it is from Oregon. Uh, it is Pinot Noir, and it is called Underwood. Is, Underwear. Is, is the vineyard. Under me? Under me. Nice. Uh, I am drinking some Yanglang Light. Nice. I think I was drinking Yangling the first time I talked about Yodorovsky's Dune documentary. 
Oh, was that when you guessed it on some other co- podcast? Oh, dude. dude, it's in the show notes and everything. Is that where you were this well, last it, week? Well, it wasn't, it wasn't during, you know, any of our Facebook Messenger catch. I know that. Seriously. Oh, Vince on, has boy. sold us out for his art friends. Dude, I'm busy. Yeah, I'm busy! <laughs> oh, uh, speaking of busy. Off. Yeah. Got a big show for you tonight, folks. Hopefully. Yes. Yeah. No. Yeah, I hope yes. I hope I hope it's ex- as exciting for our listeners as it is for us collectively. Yeah. Yeah. It, it won't be as exciting for most of them as it is for you in particular, David, but uh, And it, by the way, I kind of feel stupid because in my communication with said person, said surprise guest, I mentioned how one of my co-hosts looked just like the person's <laughs> character without really thinking about the fact that uh, character is frankly drawn and took like him. So he probably was like, what the fuck? <laughs> so hopefully we can laugh at that tonight. Your, your heart's in the right place. Yeah, I think so. But I also said you kind of went ahead and married Edsel too. So Yeah, that's true. And you know what? I don't think I'll tell him about the time he caught me checking out his wife's ass. Let's, yeah, maybe not. And, and, yeah, and he gave me the hairy eyeball. We, he, we, back to the police. <laughs> Let's do it. Should should we do this? Yeah. This is so much fun. One banana. Banana two. Hello. Hello, Matt. How are you? Good. Who is this? This is David. Hey, David. How you doing, man? Great. And yourself? Good. Excellent. And I also have with me Vince. Say hi, Vince. Hi, Mr. Mer- uh, I'm a little bit tongue-tied because, yeah. Hi. How you doing, <laughs> and, bud? I'm doing fine now. And also, Jason, who you've been corresponding with. Hey, Matt. Hey, Jason. I'm really good. appreciate it again. Uh, thanks very much for the time. You bet, man. I've just been busy here uh, cooking up a storm. i got in-laws coming in tomorrow, so. All right, nice. You're a chef, too, huh? I am. It's my secret identity. I'm, uh, I'm a gourmet cook. Really? Nice. Yeah, nice. yeah. In fact, to a lot of our, uh, my wife and I's friends, I'm much more famous for that than for being a comic book guy. <laughs> no kidding. All right, we'll, we'll have to see you on Celebrity Chopped sometime soon then. <laughs> yeah, right, right. Nice. Well, David, you take it away, buddy, because you, you, well, actually, yeah, go ahead, you, you go ahead. It's, uh, it's, it's your, your ball game. We, we've, we've got our intros out of the way, so have at it. Well, no, it's, it's, uh, for anybody who's not aware, any of the listeners who, who haven't, picked up the hint yet uh on the phone with us tonight uh is a is a uh writer and an artist who is pretty much responsible for bringing to life a lot of the stories that uh that that i hold near and dear to my heart um and uh one of the reasons why i would go to uh dragon's den which was my local direct market comic shop back in the 80s so i could pick up uh mage the hero discovered as as the issues were coming out but we have with us tonight someone who has worked for a bunch of publishers telling a bunch of different stories with his own characters and other people's property uh mr matt wagner thanks man dave where's uh you mentioned dragon's den where's that where are you guys located uh we're we're all east coasters i am in uh new york i'm in putnam valley which is um about an hour's train ride away from Grand Central in New York City. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jason is in New Jersey. Uh, mm-hmm. and Vince is a few minutes shy of, uh, Scranton, Pennsylvania. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's kind of my old stomping grounds, man. I, uh, 
you know, I went to school in Philadelphia, and that's where Kamiko originally started, my first publisher. But yeah. uh, I grew up just about 25 miles from Penn State. Okay. Wow. Yeah, I uh, I went to, I went to school in uh, Philly as well. So, Kismet. Where at? Uh, I went to Penn. To you, Penn. Uh huh. Yep. Mm-hmm. So. Uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, cool, I went cool. to the Philadelphia College of Art, which uh, now exists under a different name. It merged with another school. Okay. Did you? Uh, do you ever make it back there? I haven't been back in a long time. Although I was there for one of the first. Uh, <laughs> very strange. I was there for one of the first uh, Wizard Philly shows. Oh yeah. And uh, a bunch of us were walking to dinner one night, and we suddenly passed this corner, and I realized, shit, I used to live here, and that building's gone. <laughs> <laughs> it was a big building, too. It was a 15-story tall, and it was completely gone. Oh, <laughs> uh, no kidding. Yeah, my first con, my first ever con was Wizard World Philly, actually, way back in the day. So. Oh, really? Oh, wow. Yeah. yeah, it was It was a, It was was an overwhelming experience the first time you go to a con, I think. At least for me, it was. It's, we're such old hats at it now, but but back then it was it was fairly overwhelming. I I walked through Artist sure. Alley about a hundred times and had didn't have the courage to s- speak to any any artist at all. So I just oh, I yeah. kept wandering by and then left the con. I was uh, I think fifteen and uh, and then my 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 father was like, "Who'd you meet?" And I said, "Not a soul." I, did. <laughs> so I kept walking past people. Well, that's dead because uh, you know this is one of the things I constantly point out is uh, one of the neat things about comics as opposed to so many of the other popular arts. Is you know as a as a fan or a reader, you you do have pretty direct access to your favorite uh, creators. You know, I mean, uh, when you said you walked through Artist Alley, there you could have walked up to any number of really significant names in the industry, probably, and said hello and gotten a little sketch and a handshake. And you just can't do that with you know Eddie Van Halen or yeah, that's uh, true, yeah, any any number of movie stars and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So. Comics uh, retain an intimacy in that regard that I think is still really, really cool. I definitely agree. I mean, I, in fact, we were just talking about that on, on an episode or two ago because uh, we had come back from Heroes Con, David and I, and uh, we're giving our listeners we, we just some pointers about that and just making the point that uh, when you're at a con, you know, one of the things you should always take the, the opportunity to do is to meet your favorite creators, particularly the the you know the the older you know gold and silver age guys, because you just never know and um, uh, you know, I, one of my big regrets and was never having a chance to shake John Buscema's hand, who was probably mm-hmm. still to this day my favorite, uh, uh, illustrator. And, uh, and, and making matters worse to your point, he was at that, that Wizard World show. Uh, so. Oh, uh, wow. But, you know, back then, I, I, again, so, so shoulda, woulda, but, but, you know, less Well, less in, in keeping with that same sort of thing, uh, you guys all know Jonah Wyland, right? He runs, uh, Jonah kind of CBR. Yeah, yeah. Um, he credits me for, him being in the position he's in, because many years ago, um, I was doing a signing with the Panda Brothers. This is when we were doing uh, uh, the first second storyline on Grendel, yeah, the, the Christine Spar storyline, and we were at Golden Apple in L.A., and had a big crowd, and uh, Jonah got his mom to bring him down, and he was, I think, about 12, and so he was significantly younger than most of the other people there, and he was quite intimidated, like David, you were just saying there, you know, and just kind of hanging off to the side and too shy to come up. And I happened to look over and see him, and I realized he was too shy. And I said, you, kid, come over here. And, and I said to the Panda Brothers, come on, we're going to do sketches for this kid. And uh, and we all did sketches for him. Oh, that's great. <laughs> and he said, that's why you did comics to this very day. Oh, that's, that's amazing. So it helps to pay it out, man, you know? Yeah, definitely. 
so you have um, a you you there are some a, speaking of comic books you you um, as far as what 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 fans interacting with 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 the creators you, you're pretty active on Facebook and and uh, sharing glimpses of uh, the upcoming um, Grendel versus the Shadow storyline. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, now when when does that Okay, see now I'm the reason I am I'm not a huge shadow fan myself, but um because you're attached to it not only I know, I know. I mean I mean I did read I I did read the, the some of the D C stuff back in the day. Uh mm-hmm. the prestige format miniseries actually Vince and I were talking about it last week. Um but he's not he's not a character that, that oh okay, a new shadow's out, I gotta I gotta make sure I read it and, and so I have you you attached to it, you're writing and drawing it, and you're bringing Grendel into it. So, I mean, I, I obviously will be... Will well, be if gone. you checked out uh, the Shadow Year One, you know, I write that. You did, yeah. Actually, you have me reading Zorro, because I, I have gone back and uh, am on, I'm about halfway through uh, the series you did in 2008 with uh, Francesco Francavilla. Oh, great. So I, I'm not... I, 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 to me, I, I wouldn't... Sadly... Or not. When I think about Zorro, I think about the gay blade more often than not. But it's. I nice. know it's so. It's surprising how so many people uh, how that affected so many people. I, you know, strange thing is I have never seen that one. Wow! Really? Okay. Oh, really? Wow! Yep. But yep. it's uh, so. I mean, Zorro. So, so now you have me reading Zorro. You, you you're going to have me dipping my toe back in into uh, into Shadow again. But how did how did that come about? Because it doesn't seem like a Shadow Grendel. Yeah. 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 It came about as a result of, well, I was doing the shadow, you know, I, I've done a variety of these. Uh, let me backtrack this a bit and say it, it should be obvious that I'm a big fan of, uh, you know, pulp characters and that kind of original tier of, uh, of both, uh, pulp fiction and comic books because they're so kind of unfettered and pure. They're not relying on tropes that have already existed. They're kind of making the shit up as they go along, and so it's very, um, it's very innocent in a certain way. And yet it's born out of a time that had kind of, America kind of lost its innocence to depression. So, uh, so there's a real neat dichotomy there. And, um, so all those original heroes, uh, really mean a lot to me. Um, and, when Dynamite got the right, I, I had really liked Dynamite's take on the Lone Ranger. Um, I thought it was a real neat way to kind of uh, reinvigorate the character without without sacrificing what made the character what it was. Um, and then when they got the right to Zorro, I've known Nick Barucci, who's the publisher of Dynamite, for many, many years. And I called and said, hey, let me be your cover artist on that, the same way Cassidy's your cover artist on uh, Lone Ranger. And he came back and he said, well, what do you think about writing it, too? Huh. And I hadn't really considered that, but I, I just love Zorro. So uh, I thought this is my opportunity to really give a different uh, take on this character to kind of bring it to a modern audience that, as you just mentioned, probably only knows it from the gay blade. And, uh, and you know, from there I went on to do uh, uh, Green Hornet Year One when they did right. their massive Green Hornet launch with the Kevin Smith version and then the futuristic version. And I opted again to go back to the very original incarnation of the character um and then they got the rights to the shadow and that really killed me because i was busy with something else i was busy on the uh massive project i've been doing for legendary comics uh the tower chronicles, tower chronicles. Mm-hmm. 
Um, but uh, but then I kind of that, that was kind of clearing up. I was kind of getting ahead on the scripts and and far enough ahead that I was able to uh, find space because I'm a giant shadow geek from way back when. Of all those characters, the shadow is kind of my favorite. And um, so I called Nick and said, "Look, let me let me." year one for the shadow because the shadow has an origin but there's never been uh, revealed his first adventures when he comes back from the orient you know how he ends up you know, obviously he's not the shadow when he's in the orient that's a that's a manifestation of his uh, crusade specific to america and let me tell the tale about how he comes back to america and uh, and becomes the shadow as we know him so that was all going great and uh originally it was supposed to be eight issues and uh I realized uh, the story was getting bigger. I needed more space, and I asked, I went, hey, can I have two more issues? And they said, yeah, great, go ahead, do two more issues. Um, and then I got into the last issue, and I said, hey, can I have ten more pages? <laughs> <laughs> and they said, yeah, sure, go ahead. So then, after all, and after I had finished the scripts for that, the uh, artist, uh, Wilfredo Torres, is currently drawing the final issue of that. Um, I got an email one day from Joe Ryband, who's the editor-in-chief over at Dynamite, and he said, you know, I was in bed last night and I couldn't sleep because all I could think about was what's the possibility of us doing a Shadow Grendel crossover? Mm. And, of course, way back in the day, I did two Batman Grendel crossovers, mm -hmm. and I've had lots of offers to do more crossovers over the years with Grendel. But, you know, after Batman, where where do you go, you know? <laughs> um, can't, can't really climb up the ladder any higher than that, can you? Um, so I'd always uh, uh, kind of just rejected them out of hand, but uh, you know, the Shadow isn't as commercially viable as uh, Batman, but he's as near and dear to my heart as Batman is. So I said, "Yeah," and you know what? I think I have to draw that one too. <laughs> so, uh, so that's all that came about. Uh, it's going to be three prestige size issues. Um, I just, uh, uh, as of Monday, finished penciling the last one, so. Uh, all on schedule. It starts shipping in September, um, and will be monthly after that. Uh, and in fact, it's going to premiere the week before the Baltimore Comic Con at the uh, beginning of September. And we're doing a uh, con exclusive edition uh, that'll be available that same week only at the con. Oh, wow. I will see you there, and I'll pick it up. There right on. <laughs> and yeah, have you ever been to the Baltimore Con? Yeah, we we uh we went last year. Uh, in fact, was that okay? Uh, I, I think I may have. David, do you remember? Did we meet? Is that last no, time? No, that saw um that was uh, that was at New York because Chris oh, okay. brought Chris brought you over from um I, I don't know you were on the other side of Artist Alley and our 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 uh, fourth co-host um he uh, he actually Chris had dinner with you um. In Chicago, it was. I think. I think Andy Parks was there. We 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 had oh, a very yeah, yeah Morton. <laughs> yeah. So um, so uh, Chris brought you over, and and I finally was able to string more than a couple of sentences together since uh, meeting you face to face, and and uh, and and we we briefly talked about Legendary, and and then um, right, and so, so right, 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 right. That was kind of in the formation stages then. Right. Uh, well, so that, okay. So if you've been to Baltimore Con, you know they do. Uh, they put together a yearbook every year, you know, yeah. a European-style album, and they always spotlight a uh, a creator-owned character. The first year they did Liberty Meadows, the next year they did Usagi. Well, this year it's Grendel. Yeah, oh, and awesome. I, I knew that because I saw Daniel Govar's piece for the yearbook, and it is absolutely stunning. It's it's uh, it's Grendel Prime, and it looks gorgeous. 
I just just today did the final approval on the book, and yeah, it looks there's a lot of great stuff in there. You know, one of the things they encourage the creators to do is if you have your own creator own character, team it up with the theme character. So there's lots of you know Grendel teamed up with various people's uh, characters. Um, and in fact, one of my favorites, you guys all know Owly, right? Yes, yeah, sure. Oh, sure. <laughs> Grendel and Owly, believe it or not. Oh, that way. And it's just hilarious. It's totally great. Vince's daughter is a huge fan of Andy Rutten's book. Yeah, she loves it. And and if I'm not mistaken, uh, Matt, because um, I think when we met last in Chicago, you had mentioned that your son was getting into uh, coloring. And yeah, I, I, I was. Yeah, I was just going to come around to that. I should point out that my son is the colorist on Grendel versus the Shadow. Yeah, that's pretty cool. So yeah, is he doing it digitally? His name is Brennan. Yeah. Uh, excuse me. So he's he's doing it digitally. I mean, is this uh, I, again? Yes, you mentioned yes, it's digital. Yep. Yeah, okay. but digital, but he has a real good hand. It has a very painterly sort of flavor to it. Mm-hmm. Um, looks, uh, I mean, you know, we work in very tight, uh, tight collaboration. You know, he lives here in the same city. Um, he, I live out of the Burbs and he lives in town. But, uh, you know, I mean, we've been, uh, kind of creatively together his entire life. So we have a very good sense of communication about things. And I was just saying to, I was over at Dark Horse today and was just saying to my editor, Sierra, that uh you know, I worked with a lot of good colors. I worked with Dave Stewart a lot and Dave Dave's yeah. spectacular. But mm-hmm. um even with Dave I don't quite have this sense of communication about stuff that I do with uh, Brennan, so so that's all working out really, really great. I'm very happy with what he's done. It looks looks he's really knocking himself out and it looks That's fantastic. So I think the first issue is due to drop September third for those listeners that Yes, uh, correct. Wednesday, yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think is the is the first issue in this previews or was it last previews? I'm, I I don't remember. Uh, oh geez, you got me. I don't know. Uh, no, that's, it, it's uh, this, that's, that's this previews because September should be so, yeah. yeah. So yeah. so everybody look for it uh, on in this previews. And if not, I'm sure DCBS our our sponsor would be happy to add the first issue to your order if you didn't pre-order it. So. Uh, but then, David, you were talking about Zorro there. You know, my other big news about Zorro, right? Have you heard that? I have not. Oh, well, this is pretty big. Okay. Um, well, so it's it's been announced, but uh, uh, I'm uh, co-writing, basically co-writing uh, with Quentin Tarantino a Django oh, Zorro yes, crossover. Yes. I, did I did see yeah, that. Yes. I did see that. And see, then there's a reason why I I may have blocked that out. I, I didn't. Yes, it is big news. It's um, and it and I did see it. Actually, I saw you first mention it because you linked to it on um, on your Facebook page. From CBR's article about it, but um, I I didn't see Django Unchained. I I haven't been a big Tarantino fan in for a few years. So mm-hmm. and again, I mean, getting me into things that I I guess are out of my comfort zone a bit. You're going to end up working on something that that I'm going to have to check out. But, <laughs> well, uh, you should definitely check out you should definitely check out Django because I, uh, Django. I would say right. it's his most straight up heroic movie. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um. It's also his most linear movie. It doesn't, uh, it has a few flashbacks, but it doesn't do the crazy, you know, now we're in one time frame and now we're in another time frame. And also because it's a historical, uh, uh, piece, he doesn't have the opportunity to go launch into these long diatribes about, you know, various pop culture things. Okay. Um, and it is, you know, I tell you, I, <laughs> I was lucky enough to see the press screening okay. and uh, a buddy of mine took me, um, who's a reviewer here in town, and, we, you know, it got to the end, the lights came up, and I turned to him and I said, now, if I was a young black man, which I am not, 
I would see that 900 times. Because <laughs> it's, it's, we so rarely get to see, um, you know, at the end, uh, and this isn't spoiling anything, but at the end, you know, of course, the hero wins. And we so rarely get to see black heroes just strutting their stuff like we see white heroes do all the damn time. Yeah, mm-hmm. at least and yeah. it was just this right. awesome moment at the end where you're just, I mean, you just want to stand up and clap and cheer, you know. Mm-hmm. It's really great. Oh, you're going to make me check out this movie. All right, okay. <laughs> but okay, so so how did how did that collaboration come about? How did that collaboration come about? That one, too, was a result of Dynamite, uh... Uh, Nick Perucci, the publisher of Dynamite, knows Reggie Hudlin, who okay. was Quentin's producer on both Django and Glorious Bastards. And they were just shooting the shit one night and kind of, this kind of cropped up. Hey, wouldn't it be great to do a Django Zorro crossover? Yeah, ha ha, wouldn't that be great? Yeah, ha ha. And, uh, you know, they mentioned to me and I was like, well, sure, yeah, I'd do that if it ever came around. And I, you know, in the back of my mind, I'm like, well, that's never going to happen. <laughs> and, uh, and apparently they sent Quentin my Zorro stuff, and he just went ate for it. And uh, I had kind of forgotten all about it, and uh, I got a call from Dynamite, and they said, look, Quentin really wants to do this, and he wants you to come down to see him, like, next week. Hmm. And I said, well, okay, I guess, I guess I'll do that. And, uh, and it just worked out great. We, uh, we clicked right away. We were, uh, I kind of came into the whole thing with, um, a certain idea, and he came in with a certain idea, and I kind of quickly realized that his was the better way to go. Um, but it's been a pretty, it's been a pretty even exchange of ideas. Uh, he's real. Um, it's been a real good give and take. Uh, uh, he's, you know, if, if he says, you know, we should do it this way, and I have a specific reason, no, we should do it this way. You know, he's not an unreasonable sort, and. Uh, and again, we just, we're just, uh, I, I just feel like when we first met, it felt like we'd known each other for years. We're about the same age, so we have, um, you know, it's only a year or two difference, so we have pretty much the same frame of reference. Like, for instance, when I was there, he had just, the first time, I, I was to his place the first time, and he had just gotten back from San Diego, the con, and he had been on a giant buying spree of those Marvel black and white mags from the 70s. Stuff like, you know, Kung Fu and Strange Tales and, uh, uh, no, Savage Tales and there was just an infrariety of these oversized black and white mags. Like, he, like, in the same format as Creepy and Eerie, Marvel in the 70s went through a whole period where they did a lot of their characters. They did a Hulk magazine, they did Doc Savage, they did, uh, what did they do? Tomb of Dracula, Tomb of Dracula version, um, and Monsters Unleashed. Monsters Unleashed, yeah, exactly. And, you know, when you were 12 or 13 years old, all that stuff, which sat not in the comic book rack, but sat up on the, like, upper shelf on the magazine rack, it seemed kind of cool and dangerous and, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah, well, they weren't comics code approved either. Exactly, yeah. They seemed very verboten. Although there was nothing really racy in them. They were, you know, maybe some uh, slightly extra, uh, extra booby women, but other than that... Uh, it was the same sort of stories, but boy, it just felt like you were getting away with something by buying these books. So, <laughs> uh, so he had just stacks and stacks of that. We sat there and just got it and reminisced about that stuff for quite a while. So that was terrific. Matt, how old is your son? If He's I may 20, ask, twenty-three. So uh, when I first met you, your son wasn't even born. 
wow. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, we met um, when remember when they used to have the conventions at the Penta Hotel, which is now the Hotel Pennsylvania oh, in city. city. Yeah, um, we met, and it's actually kind of funny. Uh, we were talking at length about Grendel and uh, the the Kurtzman homage issues and and Epi Thatcher, and we're going at it, and we're having a great time. And uh, our thinning hairlines, we were talking about those, and of course, and I have to laugh, I, I was actually checking out your wife, and, <laughs> and, and you gave me the hairy eyeball, brother, you was just like, because uh, I had that. no idea, yeah, we're going to have to get a bite to eat after this, she's out there, that she'll flip out. <laughs> I had no idea that she was, because she was behind the table walking back and forth and, mm-hmm. and we were talking and I checked her out and you gave me the, the, the hairy eyeball. It was great. It was great. It was, oh my God. Well, since, we're, since we're sharing the intimate details, because Vince told us that story before he dialed you up and I said, can we delete that before? Uh, no. But, uh, he, he, no, no, don't delete that. Hell no. Well, well, <laughs> so Matt, another thing, you know, I mean, so David, uh, you know, when I was writing you setting up this, this, this chat, I, I mentioned you a couple times that, uh, David looks like Kevin Matchstick, and he married uh, a woman that that uh, that looks like Edsel. And I was laughing yeah, with the guys before he called up. Yeah, but I was laughing because I said, you know, I kept mentioning to Matt that that David looked like Kevin Matchstick, and he's probably sitting there reading it like, "Hey, asshole, I'm Kevin Matchstick." Like, so I was like, <laughs> yeah, no, what, I, what I did from that, my thought was like, there's a lot of guys that look like Kevin Matchstick. That's why that Kevin Matchstick true. works. You know, yeah, that's probably true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know? Yeah, I guess you look more like Kevin Matchstick than David does. I mean, the, thing, the biggest part of Kevin Matchstick that works is that there's no background. Mm-hmm. You know, you just you just drop into his life. You really don't know anything about him. Yeah, and and that's why that's why you click with him. You know, oh, he's yeah. me. You know, even if he doesn't look like you, even if he doesn't particularly act like you, you can imagine yourself in that role. You know, mm-hmm. I, I, I mean, you know, I, to, to backtrack here a little bit, you know, uh, the origins of Mage. You know, way back when, long before I was ever really capable of producing a comic book series. I imagined that I was, and I started to... Uh, I'd always had an interest in Arthurian stuff, and I started to develop a, a story about uh, the return of King Arthur, and I had done a couple of pages, and it was much more kind of standard. You know, it was set in a kind of a future Holocaust sort of thing, and, and you know, the, the, the Kevin... The, the, King Arthur character wore like a cape and he had a little diadem headband, you know. Well, then DC announced they were going to do Camelot 3000. <laughs> right. And, and I was kind of like, well, you know, that Brian Boland guy, he draws a little bit better than me. So, uh, <laughs> so I just shelved it. Well, then, you know, then it came out and I just found it so unsatisfying because it was just so standard. It was, oh, geez, these are knights. They're knights. And, and look, King Arthur's wearing a Superman costume. Basically, it's it's red and yellow and blue, and and it didn't speak to me in any fashion, you know. And I, I'm a big fan of Joseph Campbell's work and the the idea that you know myths get reinterpreted for every individual time frame. And I thought there's a reason this isn't speaking to me. It's because I don't know any knights, and I don't know anybody that owns a sword. But there are a lot of guys in T-shirts that wander around the alleyways of uh, big cities, and you know, some of them carry sticks sometimes to protect themselves, and and that's how I decided that I needed to reinterpret things because that was the reality I knew, and I knew that any myth that was going to be real for me had to 
thrive in that reality. And so, you know, King Arthur became a dude in a t-shirt, and the, the Merlin became a street hobo, and Lady Lake became a, a streetwise uh, urban chick, and Excalibur became a baseball bat. It took me a while to, to catch on to that. I, I, it, back in the 80s, I wasn't... I, I really didn't... It, I took my comic books at pretty much face value, so I, I a lot of that went over my head initially and and uh and as that's I, okay, man. That's, that's okay a lot of the creative process you don't need you know for something to really work you don't need to understand every aspect of it you just need to feel that it's true right you know it uh i mean for instance you know if you look at if you look at like bob dylan's songs some of the stuff where he's got a whole lot of like just rambling poetry i don't need to know what every lyric means i just need to know that it feels true on some level you know um, it's true of almost any art form. You know, I I, uh, I don't need to know exactly what Picasso was feeling when he painted certain things, but I need to know that he was striking a certain primal mythic reality there that uh, that in the end becomes eternal because of the fact that he was striking something true, you know. Sure. One of the things I think that's that's fascinating about uh, Mage versus your other stuff is I, I've seen over the years you, you you said repeatedly that that your creative process for Mage is much different. You just you sit down, no story, no 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 you know no no storyboards, no script. You just sit down at a blank piece of page and uh, blank piece of paper and just start going with it. And um, I mean, why why do you, you think that? I gotta is? confess, man. I gotta confess. Yeah. Gotta tell you off real quick. These days, everything's like that for me. It really? Originally, it was, originally it was just mage, but now I do everything that way. I'm doing I'm doing Grendel Shadow that way. I don't have layouts. I don't have a script. I sit down and I make it up as I go along. Wow, <laughs> that is wow, that, so that's so refreshing to hear yeah. that. Wow, and and part of that part of that is that just I just been at it that long that you know again uh, you know to go back to you know use the Bob Dylan analogy again. You don't think Bob Dylan takes notes when he's going to write a song, do you? Um. Uh, I recently read, well, a couple of years ago, I read Stephen King's uh, On Writing, uh, which is his uh, very uncharacteristically slim little volume about his, basically a memoir of his life as a writer. Yeah. And I was real happy to see that he and I have a very similar creative process, which is he also doesn't seem to take a lot of notes. And doesn't. He kind of comes up with ideas, he comes up with characters, and then he starts writing and he lets those characters roll where they're going to roll, and he lets them take him through the story. And that's not to say certainly he doesn't have ideas about where he wants the story ultimately to end up. But uh, I don't think he, I don't think he has some giant pie chart that, you know, giving everything up into a, a very rigid graphic of, you know, how everything needs to lay out by page 20 and by page 400 and by page 600, you know. Um, and I'm, I'm the same way. I just kind of, you know, I, I have a feel for characters. I have a feel for story. Um... And in fact, I was just, uh, again, I was in Dark Horse today, uh, and I was talking to my editor, and there's a scene at the very end of, uh, Grendel Shadow, which I won't spoil for everybody, but, but I was talking about how, you know, I originally planned it one way, and when I started to draw it, you know, I drew a version of it, and I was like, oh, that's just not right. That doesn't work that way. Um, and so I had to kind of backtrack and figure out a, a different way to show it in a much, 
um, in the end, a much more subtle and clever fashion. But I, I, I had to do it wrong the first time. You know, it's a big part of the, in my book. It's a big part of the creative process. You got to, you got to fuck it up the first time, and then, and then figure it out the second time. And uh, and then, you know, that's what sketching's all about. You know, I, I tend to view every story I do as a giant sketch that I'm slowly honing into a finished piece. And. Uh, yeah. Now that you mention this, this is really cool because I'm trying to think. I, I'm reliving all of the things on which you've worked in my mind to, to see which one feels the the most organic. And I got to say, now that you you've you've laid this out, the Trinity miniseries that you did for DC that feels really organic to me now. In light of this information that you don't uh, sit down and plan everything out, because it's just that that oh, yeah. series felt it feels very spontaneous, doesn't it? Yeah, I, I will say on that one, because it was, you know, these three big flagship characters for DC, I, I had to spell it out a little bit more for them. But no, I didn't, I, I never really turn in, like, I don't write what are called full scripts in the industry. I don't, I don't write a full script and turn it in and then draw it. I, I tend to draw it, and, you know, I mean, everything I've done for DC, I've done with editors who know and trust me. So, you know, when it was Sam and Mystery Theater, I was working with Karen Berger, and almost everything else was with Bob Shrek. Right. And they're willing to just go, look, I know you know what you're doing, just go ahead. And, and they know I'm not gonna, you know, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna have something that's out of character or, or out of, uh, uh what's the word I'm looking for? Out of the, uh, age group. You know, I'm not going to try and do a, a hard R version of Batman and Superman. Um, uh, but again, there's, there's a trust there between the creator and the editor. And, uh, and yeah, I, I, I had to spell out a little bit more with Trinity, but you're right. I, I did just kind of like let it flow. Um, nice. I mean, it's, it's just the way, it's just, at this point in my life, I just don't know how to do it any other way, you know. Right, right. Does this even apply to Grendel? I was, because, well, sure. I mean, I, wow. so, so whether, so your approach to writing, whether you're drawing the book or whether you're having Francesco draw Zorro or any of the very, very Okay, well, well, people. I will say with some of those, with some of those licensed characters, um, it's a little different, you know, with with that I have to do a full script because That's there it has to pass approval right. process from okay. a licensor first, you know. Right. So they have to read it. Um, now, um, I will say that going into the shadow year one, Dynamite said, you know, we've had a little, you know, sometimes the shadow people can be a little uh, twitchy. And, and I said, don't worry. I believe me, I'm a shadow goon. I'm going to give them exactly what they want. And I wrote ten issues of that, and we never had one single note from him. Um, so when it came time to do Grendel Shadow, uh, I had to say, "Look, I'm not going to write a full script for this. I'm going to turn in the pencil because that's the way I do it. I draw it first, and then I write the dialogue and everything over top of that. Because as I'm drawing it in my mind, I'm I'm saying to myself, you know, here they're saying this, and here the captions are kind of pointing us in this direction." And same thing. It's just I, I knew, I knew my source material well enough that I knew they weren't going to flip out or anything. And sure enough, they didn't. So, hmm. Well, uh, as this applies to Grendel, I, I find it incredible that um, what a series that started very um, street level with Christine Spar 
in 40 issues, the, the Grendel spirit pretty much consumes the world, yeah. planet. Yeah, sure, and, sure. And that was an organic process? Like, that story basically laid itself out for you, or, or did um, you know it going step in? Step, I, I certainly didn't have that in mind from the very beginning. Um, uh, uh, in fact, the, the, the whole direction of the last, I don't know, 20-plus issues of that series came about as a side result of a just stray comment that uh, Bernie Miro made to me one time. Which is, you know, because again, as you mentioned there in the earlier edition, uh, uh, incarnations of the character, it seems like Grendel is uh, an active and sentient force that's moving from host body to host body. And of course, you know, I, I will point out that we never really nail that down in a concrete fashion, you know. Maybe that's what it is. Maybe it's a societal reality. Maybe it's a archetypical, uh, uh, Deep in the genetic code, sort of uh, uh, reality. Never, never really nail it down. Could be, could be any of that. Could be all of it. It's probably all of it. Um, but Murray made a straight comment to me one time. I was like, "Well, could Grendel ever take over a whole crowd?" To which I said, "Hell, why not the world?" <laughs> <laughs> and so then I started. I was like, "All right, that's going to take a long time. So let me start planning this now." And then I had to spend issue after issue after issue getting to the point where we'd have a person assuming the persona of Grendel and uh, inspiring a lot of people to become Grendel and, and kind of flipping everything on its ear to where it went from being a, a term of heinous villainy to the uh, to the you know most honored military elite in the world. Wow, I, I find that incredible. That nuts. It's it. Is there plans? Sorry, David. No, right. do, do you have plans to uh, publish a comprehensive chronological uh, Grendel collection? Oh yeah, they're out right now. Well, Dark Horse, yeah, I mean, well, yeah, the Dark Omnibus. Horse publishes. They're out right as, now. They just came out the Omnibus editions. They just yeah. uh, they just they're chronological. Yeah, really? it starts. It starts with the Hunter uh-huh. stuff, and then okay. the second volume is Christine up until up until who? Uh, oh, up in Brian and I can't remember, but they, they are all in the, for the first time ever in in straight chronological order, narrative chronological order. Um, even the Hunter stuff, which of course I've done so much Hunter stuff, and a lot of it's short stories and such, and we we put them in as close as we could to uh, uh, chronological uh, order. Uh, but yeah, that's all. That's all out right now. So. Nice. See, I don't really pay attention because I have all the single right, entries. Yeah, exactly. Right. Right. <laughs> Now, the but, now right, but it's, uh, what's it, total, like, 2,200 pages or something like that? It's, it's, say, it's, pretty, it's a lot. Since yeah. I have an addiction to, uh, thing, yeah. yeah, since I have an addiction to, to, sh- to shelf porn and collected editions, I, I, uh, I've, I've ordered all the omnibus, uh, versions. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> I will say I like seeing them on a shelf. They look, uh, Agreed. they look good that way. Yeah. The, uh, do you, um, I, before I get to, Grendel Tales, do you have, Vince and I kind of go, Vince has his favorite Grendel, I have mine. Oh, do, for real. Yes, yeah. yeah. Do, do you have one, Matt, or is it just the Grendel persona? Is it because of a certain artist? Oh, come on, dude. That's like asking who's my favorite I kid know, is. You know? I know, I know, but I figured I, I gotta ask daddy just in case, you know. I mean, luckily I have one boy and one girl, so I'm good to go on that front. Nice. Huh? All right. <laughs> so, I, I, um, well, you know, they're all, they're all, 
totally unique, and you know, That's I mean, true. I they are. I don't have a, you know, I don't even have a favorite version of you know. I mean, certainly I come back to Hunter because Hunter's just this uh, deep dark well that you can never seem to draw enough out of. But uh, uh, but you know, it tends to be whatever one I'm working on at the time. You know, I was I was giddy when when you came back and did the eight issue miniseries a few years ago. I Hunt, Hunt oh, that was, was a blast too. So let me tell you that one. Uh, that was for the 25th uh, anniversary. Yes. And uh, I was talking with uh, my longtime Kindle editor uh, Diana Schutz, and we were we were kind of planning what we were going to do for the 20th anniversary. We did the Art of Grendel, and uh, we republished the uh, original three black and white issues, which had never been republished. And, you sketched in mine. Yeah, that's <laughs> right here. Yeah, yeah. And, that, actually, that's uh, and, and so you know, we decided I was going to come back and, and draw a whole new series. And she said, "Okay, if you're going to draw, it's got to be Hunter." <laughs> I said, "All right, all right, that's all right, that's cool." And she said, "You know, and uh, and if you're and if it's going to be Hunter, it has to be something important. It can't just be a caper." Oh. And I was like, "Oh shit! I've already told all his important stuff." <laughs> and then and then I thought about it for a while, and then I figured out, okay, wait, maybe there's a missing part of his important stuff, and then uh, it all went from there. So I kind of credit. Uh, Diana for uh, kind of kicking my butt in that direction to push myself a little harder to come up with something cool for that. So, so this is a great segue to a question I wanted to ask you because um, you in that uh, in the I guess it was the, it was called the Grendel Archives the uh, the hardcover that you're mentioning that that shows the um, the, the first the Kamiko Primer issue and then the the first mm-hmm. three yep. the black and whites. And you write the foreword in that, and uh, there's a part of it where you you acknowledge, I guess, that it had been long rumored that the issues in the book were never reprinted because you were embarrassed by them. And you go on to say something, and I'm paraphrasing, but you went on to say something like, "It's ridiculous to say I was embarrassed because it'd be like saying that you're ever ashamed of being, you know, seven or a teenager or 21." Um, yes, I, I, I some some people are ashamed of that in their lives, but I'm not. Yeah, yeah, no. But my question is, like, how do you ever sit back and think, like, how do those those perceptions start in the first place like 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 it's you were my point is when you wrote that you were obviously aware that there was some perception out there that that these just weren't ever reprinted because you 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 didn't want them to be uh, how, how does something like that come about like especially in like the pre-internet era i always wondered like how does that perception it's almost like a a fairy tale you know around what? The, there, 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 the rumor mills existed long before the internet era right sure. you know yeah. um so i don't know you know everybody's got some theory about their favorite Creation, you know, I mean, look, Paul is dead, right? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, you, I don't know. You, shit, shit arises. You just kind of, you know, I, I got a pretty, I got a pretty. Uh, luckily, I, I kind of um, got a lot of notice and renown at a young age. So, mm-hmm. um, you just got to develop a rhino hide about stuff. Sure, it's, it's just you know. Look, I don't care if everybody likes my stuff. Some people like it. And some people like it a lot, and that's certainly enough for me. I don't need everybody to love it. Um, now, one, one and, thing I... Now, yeah, I go ahead. You, may, you may know this, Matt, but David has a, a tattoo of Grendel. Uh, and, 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 but David, I don't... Since, since Matt's on the line, what what is it about... I'll let you say who, who you have the tattoo of, but why why is that version of Grendel your favorite? Uh, my Mine is Hunter because, well, it... Because of mage, because of the mage backups, I I missed out yeah, on 
on primer. I missed out on, on the three issues. Um, my, my introduction to you, to your work was, was the hero discovered. And, and that, and that's another thing is that I have, um, I love, I mean, I, you, you made me want to, I didn't, but you made me want to go out and, and buy a paintbrush kit because, airbrush kit because I just thought that it, that, you know, that would solve all my, you made the art look amazing in Hero Discovered in the latest, in, in the later issues and, and, and the airbrushing just blew me away and, and I, it kinda, um, I know this Well, this will, this will, this will freak you out and I, at that point I was using an airbrush that doesn't exist anymore. Oh. Um, it was, uh, it was, it was very specific to the time and place, um, Jeez, is it Pantone? One of the one of the uh, high upscale art marker, uh, uh, colored marker markets, uh, had made an airbrush that ran off markers. Mm-hmm. So, so you had a generator and you had an air hose, just like a regular uh, airbrush. But they had this little uh, uh, gun that uh, a marker would clip into. Mm-hmm. And ah, then, nice. and then a stream of air would blow across the tip of the marker yes. and <clears throat> blow the the juice off the end of the marker and turn the marker into an airbrush. Oh, you are freaking me out because yeah. I I had I had one of those no. and they were one of those. they were awesome, right? Because because you didn't you never had to clean them. There's nothing. <laughs> yeah, no, no paint ever went through a gun, right? It's, um, but so, I will so say they were incredibly for, uh, difficult. Sorry, say again. They were incredibly difficult to use because, yes, you didn't have to clean them, but you also couldn't regulate them all that well. No, uh, only only distance. All you could do is like pull it, push it farther, or pull it back. You know, right? But, right. But the key is, they would have been shitty for any other application other than the backgrounds <laughs> yeah. of a comic book page, and because you know I was coloring those at reproduction size. You know how normal comic book art is rendered uh, larger. But the colors are the colors are done at the same reproduction size. Right. So generally, those backgrounds are pretty small little areas, and it, it you know I kind of just got the hang of it how it all takes a couple of little spritzes of that stuff to make it look very um, full and uh, vigorous and lush, and just just kind of figure it out. Now, luckily. Uh, Shortly after I finished Mage, those things kind of like fell out of favor and off the market and disappeared forever. So I don't really have to worry about it anymore. So, and is that why then later reproductions, later reprints, later collections don't use those colors? That they've been recolored? Yes, right, exactly. Yep. Okay. Yep. And, you right. know, again, you know, they they were done. Um, they were done in a very complex fashion in that they were something called blue lines which was uh, they would take the art and they would produce it in both a film positive and a film negative. So basically you have a sheet of acetate that's the line work, positive version of the line work, then you have a negative version of the line work, and they have registration marks so they line up. And then they had, uh, we discovered this process called blue lining where you take a chemical and you treat paper with it and you lay down the negative, and then you expose it to bright sunlight. And I actually had bought a sun lamp because it couldn't, you know, take its sunshine all year round, unless you live in Southern California, which I didn't. <laughs> um, and uh, and you just turn on the sun lamp for about five minutes, and then when you would peel the negative away, there'd be a blueprint image of it right there. So then that showed you where to color, and then they would they would scan that colored version, and then they would scan the positive 
line work and laid over top of it, and boink, it all came together into one thing. Yeah, as we're going result, back. As a result, right. as a result, you had an acetate original, or an acetate piece of line work, and of course that never changes size; it's plastic. But then the the painting was on actual paper, and paper changes size uh, via humidity, via age, via all sorts of reasons, and so the registration would get off. You see what I mean? The the under image wouldn't exactly line up with the over image. As a result. Now you can do it via computer, and the, the registration is just perfect every time. So that's why we recolored it every time. So it would be tight and and perfect looking, and not uh, yeah. If you go back and look at those, um, some of those older versions will be like, oh yeah, look, there's a little space there where that doesn't line up. <laughs> <laughs> now the so it was it was Mage is what brought me to Grendel. I loved those the backups and and I, I love the looks of them i i love the way everything was laid out because here after this after this sequential comic book story you have uh text pieces with 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 spot illustrations if you want to call them that it, it's it's a great well i i found it to be a great story between hunter and and uh and and his Argent. and and Argent and 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 stacy and and everything was just Everything clicked. Well, there's a reason to that too. I mean, you know, everything is everything is always, um, you know, as I said, you know, everything's kind of things happen creatively for a reason. And you know, when we decided that I was going to resurrect Grendel because I had done those three issues in black and white, and then we had all kind of just forgotten about Grendel. I started through Mage because Mage was going to be one of Kaniko's first color books. Mage started to get quite a, quite a bit of uh, attention and. Uh, all of a sudden, I started getting all this feedback from people saying, hey, whatever happened to Grendel? What, what's the end of that story? So I had to rework Grendel, but I had to do it in four-page segments. And I had to figure out a way to include basically almost an issue's worth of story in four pages. So I couldn't do that panel to panel. So that's when I came up with the idea of doing it as basically an, almost an illustrated novel with the very designy illustrations and the, and the sections of text floating throughout it enabled me to squeeze a whole lot more story into a very limited amount of space. The the tattoo is it actually Jeremy Hahn drew a um drew, drew a Hunter Rose Grendel bust in my sketchbook and, and I use that as the uh as the oh, template awesome. for um it, it it looks amazing and, and uh it was my first tattoo I figured well I because it's I, I, I did want something for mage and I'm still thinking about it but it's hard you know if I get a bat people are going to think I'm a baseball fan more than I am a mage fan if I get a lightning bolt and I don't yeah, get it just right fan, yeah. I'm a Shazam or Flash <laughs> or Madman so I it, yeah. it has to be um you know I I so I'm still thinking about it and and I kind of want it to um to tie into the first limited series I I I was giddy Okay, when... excuse my excuse my confusion here. Are, are you the one that married the woman who looks like Ethel? Yes. Yes. Well, Jesus, do you need any more points? I know. Well, I, yeah, I, 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 that's true. That's true. Well, actually, I do have because of um, and and this was Vince's idea at the last C two E two we went to. Um, she loves to mess around in the garden, and and she loves her uh, her orchids and and her roses, and um, so my my most my third tattoo is a connection to Hunter Rose because it's one of her circus roses that that she grew. So it's it's a reproduction of or it's it's 
basically the photo of one of her circus roses. I I say it's because of Hunter Rose, but she tells me it's a circus rose because I'm a clown. But it it and it's <laughs> it was Vince's reasoning was was um was to have her somehow tie into the third tattoo. So what it's, what is a circus rose? I don't know what that is. It's it it looks like a standard. It's just the colors. The, the, the colors are, are more oh. um. They're, they're, there's some yellow. There's some pink. Some red. It's not. It, it's not. Oh, just okay. Standard okay. Red it's rose. kind of a, a mottled rose. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Um. So so that's on my forearm, but. So did not only did the Grendel um, envelop the, the the fictional world in the comics, now it's spilling over into the real world. Yeah, yeah. And, and and so it's got David. Now. Yeah. Oh, that's true. Yeah, you're right. That's <laughs> pretty awesome. Uh, well, say, guys, I have seen a lot of Grendel tattoos. So. Yes. I, well, one of the um, is it the the art of Grendel doesn't have that that has a slew of um. I, well, actually, the the Dark Horse reprints, the miniseries. I, I think at the end yeah. of almost yep. every issue, you yeah, had has a bunch of them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, and, and I mean, that's, it, it the whole, the, the eyes, the mask, the, 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 the fork, I mean, everything about Grendel is, is ripe for just, you know, reproducing things in that regard. Um, yeah. I think it's fascinating because for, for me, although I love Mage, Whenever I, I hear the name Matt Wagner, that's synonymous with Grendel for me. Yeah. I like, I don't, I don't even, I don't even think Mage really? a lot of the time. Yeah, it's, it's, it's like, a, Mage, to, I, like I said, love it, but it's like the, the, uh, it, that's lumped in with the, the, the rest of the great Matt Wagner stuff, but top of the heap for me is Grendel. Well, mm-hmm. you know what, I think that is a great compliment because, uh, for some people it's that. For some people, I'm only Mage, and for some people, I'm only Sam in Mystery Theater, and for some people, it's only the Batman stuff I've done, right. and for some people, it's the more contemporary, you know, Shadow, Zorro, Green Hornet stuff, sure. so mm-hmm. I've, had, yeah, I've, had a, of... I've had a good run, and i got nothing to complain about. <laughs> yeah. right. A lot of different avenues to get to Matt Wagner, but uh, yeah, yeah. Well, Grendel's my superhighway. Yeah, no, it's, <laughs> I mean, and, and once, I, so I was, you know, all about... I did read some of the Kamiko issues as as they were coming out, but I didn't read the whole of of the series um, until Dark Horse reprinted the uh, the book as as a as a series of, of limited series, and um, and I th- then I find out that Image is coming back with uh, with the Hero Defined, and and I, and I think it was shortly before then that I that I was. That I found out that it was it, it's supposed to be a trilogy, and 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 I mean because I just I loved the hero discovered, and that was pretty much all I needed. And then I had your Grendel stuff, and then um, well, Jason recently read um, the Batman Grendel crossovers, which I and again my my favorite are the two from from ninety three with 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 Batman versus Hunter, and and then a couple of years later you come back with with the follow up, and and it's. Hunter Prime, and it, I mean, it, the Grendel Prime it's, it's shows the polar, up. It's the polar opposite of the first one, too. It, and it is, and, it, and I mean, and I, it, it's all just been a, a I, I think I prefer, well, yeah, I, I do, I, I do like when you draw your own stuff. I mean, I, I, I'm a fan of your writing, obviously. I, I, um, I have Sam MS3 Theater. I, I bought the, uh, but those as they were coming out, I mean, so you've had me follow you around and, and, uh, but I mean, if, if you're drawing something, I just, I'm, I'm all perked up about it. I, I can't, and, and see you. Okay, draw, you're going to love Grandma Shannon then, baby. I'm telling you, dude, I, I gotta, I mean, you know, so I'm, I'm all about that now. And, and you actually, you, um, you do draw one of my, I mean, years ago when, 
one of the earlier threads we had on our, on our forum, uh, was, you know, who draws your definitive, who draws your favorite version of a certain character. And, and you are up there with me, um, on, uh, on Batman. I, I just, your version with the short ears and I, I thought, I thought faces is one of my favorite Batman stories. Um, Trinity that, that, that Vince mentioned, I, I, uh, I thought that the take on, on that was the first meeting of the big three, right? That, that was the whole well, point of the you know, they, I, don't know they, I don't know if they consider it in canon. I, yes, that was the way I was, I was doing it, and I don't give a shit whether they <laughs> right. consider it in, in canon or not. You know, the, the, the whole thing with working with these characters with is you have these incredibly lengthy histories is at some point you guys just got to be like, look, I'm only going to really give consideration to the work of the creators that I like. Um, I, I don't care what writers that I didn't like do. <laughs> You know? um, so you know, I, I picked and choose what I liked to, to from their contemporary early histories to uh, to do that series, and uh, it's, the way, it's the way I do pretty much any of it. I, sure. Shadow Two, I'm, I'm on the Shadow Year One. I'm pretty much picking and choosing what I like. I'm distilling. Same, the same was through specifically through uh, Zorro. You know, I, I feel like I'm. To, you know, to come back to my cooking roots here, I'm a distiller. I take these many, many, you know, elements and I distill them into what I think is, you know, the perfect version or my version, however you want to call it. Um, and uh, it has a lovely amber hue. <laughs> <laughs> hey, guys, I'm just looking at the clock here, and I should probably get rolling. Um, but it's, been, it's really terrific talking to you guys, and... Uh, Hope to see you at Boston, Baltimore. You guys are all going to be there. Uh, I think it will just be me at Baltimore, but it, it, uh, are you... hopefully, I'm going to try to. At least, are you going to be there the whole weekend, Matt? Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, if, my son will be too. Excellent. All right, I'm going to because I, I got to get that yearbook. But I'm I'm um, that's that's right during a work blackout vacation period for me. So it's it's I work at a college and, and the semester starts after Labor Day. So they kind of have us locked down a few days before the semester begins and for the couple of weeks after. So I'm going to, if I can't make it down there at the start of the con, I'm, I'm hoping to maybe get down there for Saturday and Sunday. Yeah, I'll be there all three days. No problem okay. at all. W- will you be at New York, Matt? Um, so far, no. Okay. Who do we have to talk to? Because we will all be there. Yeah, sometimes, sometimes, kind of shit comes together at the last minute, and yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah but, but so far now, but well, listen, like, I mean, I'm going down. I'm going down to San Diego here for your listeners. Um, I'm going down to San Diego because uh, Dynamite has a panel, and this just kind of came together in the last month or so. A panel on Sunday because uh, this is Dynamite's 10th anniversary, so it's to celebrate that. But basically, Quentin and I are headlining the panel. Sure, It'll be oh, Quentin nice. and I both there. Understandable. To talk about Django Zorro, so. Nice. And when when is uh, do you have a date for that when that's going to hit the stands? Uh, geez, no, I don't. They just we just kind of got the the final deal settled about a month and a half ago, so I don't really know when they're looking for a release date. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I, I can't really can't really go on that one yet. And before we let you go, we'd be remiss because I know you've mentioned it a couple times in recent years that Mage Three is the third third is is theoretically in the works. I know you've said you were going to sure it is sure it's always in the works, man. <laughs> Well, this so my question though is more specific. You know, I, actually... I always say here, this is this is the thing that really you know we talked there quite a bit about my creative process, and this yeah. is the thing that follows very much in the in the footsteps of that is that I don't really decide what I'm going to work on Mage. 
Mage decides what I'm going to work on Mage. I love it. And it really, it really is like that. It really is kind of like all of a sudden, because, you know, it really much, it really very much is an allegory of my own life. And all of a sudden it'll be like, all right, God, no time for anything else. I have to do this. And I just have to shut off everything else because I just don't have any time for anything else. Mm-hmm. Um, now, is, is I can't work on anything else when I'm working on Mage. It's too consumptive. Now, is, is and that... I don't know. I'm getting close, I think. So, well, obviously, first volume came out from Kamiko. They're no longer around. Second volume came out from Image. Do you still have a deal with Image, or will you be shopping that around anywhere else? Um, geez, I don't really know yet. Okay. Uh, pretty, pretty sure, pretty sure it's going to be Image, but I couldn't swear to it. We'll, we'll see. All right. It's a volatile market. Let me just say that. <laughs> Fair enough. Oh. All right. Thank you, Mr. Wagner. Yeah, thank you so much for the time. It was a real pleasure, uh, and uh, looking forward to it'll be my first exposure to the shadow. So I'm looking forward to that very much. Uh, well, you should, definitely, you should definitely pick up Shadow Year One. I'm not, I'm not just tooting my own horn there. You know, it's a, it's a perfect leaping on spot for who the shadow is, what he's all about. Because um, I, I, I literally take every version of the shadow, big chunks of the pulps, big chunks of the radio show, and big chunks even of the Alec Baldwin movie. Oh, wow. And kind of again distill that into what I think is a contemporary look at a classic period character. Awesome, awesome. Right. Oh, there. I mean, there were a few things. Obviously, we didn't get to um, get into. Hey, you, uh, can have me, you can have me back next time. We'll do it then. Excellent, perfect. That's all I needed to know. <laughs> <laughs> well, listen. Thank you so Thanks, much uh, for everything. For, for enjoy the, dinner. For multi decades of work and enjoy dinner. Yeah. Thanks. Bye bye. Thank you. All right. Bye-bye. Take care. Nice. Oh, there you go. Respect. Well, that's pretty incredible. I know, dude. He's a, he's a force of nature too. Yeah. yeah he drove yeah. he drove the bus, yeah. which was good. Yeah. I, mean, I, I didn't. I, I I gotta have him back so that we can talk about um, the Demon miniseries. So I can ask him about um, how Grendel Tales came about. I'm curious to know if if that's something that you know other people were like, hey, I'd love to do something with your with your idea, or if he was tired of doing things and and just still wanted the character out there. I just I, they're they're still quite well. Yeah, well, it's I fascinating because I found an interview, and again, didn't come up. I found an interview, um, a little few vignettes that he did a video interview um, with someone at Dark Horse back when he was 40, so 13 years ago. So that would have been what uh, I guess. Uh, 2000, 2001 at time frame. And at the time he was talking about how he wrote Hunter Rose when he was 19 and that as he felt like he was getting to the point, if he wasn't already there, that he was done writing Hunter because as he got older and he was 40 at the time of the interview, he just found it harder and harder to identify with Hunter. Uh, and you know, lo and behold, I mean, 12, 13 years later, he's writing another Hunter Rose story. So yeah, you know, clearly, it's not as hard for him to identify with the character as he thought it would be. And at least here, what? I mean, the, 20, the 25th anniversary is, is one thing. I mean, he was able to tell a story, a, a missing piece, as he, um, as he said, but it's, um, at least here though, it's not just Hunter Rose. It's, it's, it, it, there's a, there's a connection to another character that he can also spend time writing. 
right, right. Yeah, he should spend time writing Epi Thatcher stories, like till the rest for the rest of his days. Keep writing Epi Thatcher. So let's stories. break it down for 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 the uninitiated. There, Hunter Rose, and then uh, there's been a bunch of Grendel. So, so David, yours your favorite Hunter, as you explained, but Vince, yes. yours is Epi. No, oh, Epi Pen. <laughs> his is EpiPen, although he loves bringing up the Pander Brothers. He loves he, he I, loves rubbing Christine Spar in my face. Dude, that that first what is it? Twelve issues, ten yeah, issues. They're issues. awesome. Yeah. They're, they they don't look like anything no, that came no, or far after. But yeah, that, and that's one of the reasons why I, I do love them because the the, the Pander Brothers were such an odd choice to 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 be, begin the series. Um, and and their Argent is incredible. Come on, oh, yeah. you got you got to admit. I wouldn't know. It's it, he's a force of nature, but but for my money, Epi Thatcher is the Grendel. You show me a character that shoves it up the ass of the the organized religion. Mm-hmm. That's my boy right there, and he's insane. Totally bothered. Oh yes. Oh yes. He's just he's just out of his mind, and it's just like the best of both worlds. You get get this crazy ass character that'll do anything uh, against. A, a gigantic, world-spanning, corrupt, uh, religious entity. That, that's tailor-made for me. That sounds pretty dope. Yeah, it's great. And it, and it was drawn by, uh, John K. Snyder, yeah. the third, and Jay Geldof. And again, it's just, it, it, totally different from the, the Tim Sale stuff that came before yeah. it. And, uh, I think Sale comes after too, right? Yes. Yeah, cause he does yeah. the, uh, the Devil's Reign. He does the, uh, um, son of a bitch! Why can't I remember his name? And he's right here in this. Uh... Orion. Yes, thank you. Jesus Christ! Look at you. You're all. I'm all you're flustered, all... man. It's and, all and like so it's... the and the, the main female version of Grendel is the daughter of Stacy, right? Who was yes, okay. yes, yes. yes. Stacy is um, Stacy is is Hunter's adopted right his ward uh, and right and um and yeah and she gets married after after Hunter's killed um she grows up gets married to, to her, her psychiatrist, psychiatrist right? yeah, yeah yeah who he rapes uh, her and then yep and so so yeah so. yeah yeah <laughs> he rapes her i love you <laughs> so yeah it's i mean you can't the, the, the grendel story the 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 whole the the epic whatever you want to call it the the just the it is it, it's not a happy-go-lucky tale no. it's not you know if you don't don't you know do not expect a happy ending for for anybody um it's uh and that's the way it should be and it's it, the, the grendel force is a corrupting absolutely force. absolutely yeah. and it's i mean you have you have hunter who was i mean i i think hunter was doing good but he uh he obviously you know i mean in the sense that i guess tony soprano also did good but I was it's gonna say, yeah i know I, it's you just because you get rid of you know some bad you're still doing bad to get rid of it but um but but he he, do, he does have um not only goals but he does have a a there's a guiding light to hunter that may not be um bright white i mean there's darkness to it but he does have his agenda and he does try mm-hmm. to act yeah with within certain boundaries for what he considers good i guess is what i'm trying yeah, to say I mean, well but uh, yeah i mean well but i mean right so he so he bans teenage prostitution 
as he's taking over the prostitution ring by killing the guy who was the head of the prostitution. I mean, right? You know, he's that's he's got to put food on the table. I'm <laughs> saying that that is a far cry from having any. I mean, that is the very lowest rung of any kind of moral standard. I mean, he kills a million people. He runs all kinds of crimes, but he draws the line at 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 uh, at, at at child right uh, prostitution, which is I, great. He's all. not. I mean, it's great he's all, not. but I mean, you know. But I, I enjoyed how, I mean, even though the Christine Spar story was in the future, there was, you had the connect, you had Hunter and Stacy and then Christine. And then, and then you had Brian, which, you know, again, was the connection. And then after Brian, that's when things start to, um, open up. Yeah. And, and we go into the future and, and worldwide and things just go nuts. So it, it kind of, um, you, yeah, maybe you, I shouldn't have said good. Sorry. Maybe good is not the word I was looking for. Now we all. Into, I mean, you guys never seem to talk about Grendel Prime. Is that? Is that wasn't your? Oh that's... no. The uh, for me, well, well, um, War Child was well after um, after the Kamiko series, and and it was um, there was. It didn't feel. I'm not gonna say it felt different. It just. It was. Um, I, I guess because of of the the gap in time between when when Matt was writing the ongoing series leading to to Grendel Prime's story, um, there was just it there was a um, a lapse for me. So I I definitely um, hmm. I see it's it's there's um. I think you're right. I think you're right. Now I'm glad you weren't talking about this when when Wagner was here, because Devil's Reign is gigantic in scope. It's it's colossal. The the the, the Grendel force pretty much envelops the entire planet, right? right. But then when we get to War Child, yeah. Grendel's Grendel's a sidekick, and and yeah, but and he's also a cyborg. It's like it's it's not he's not. But yeah, but you have this gigantic scope and then it narrows to the point where Grendel is, I mean, Warchild is Jupiter's story. Exactly. Yep. Yeah, it's, it's, Grendel is, is a, a bodyguard, right. a sidekick, and, and we have the focus on Orion's son, Jupiter, yep. where it, it almost like, the, 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 yeah, the, the story exploded and then when Warchild rolled around, it was jammed into this tiny narrowing. You know, it, it the scope definitely. I'd agree with that. Congealed to this this story. I, I I like it, but for me, he could have ended with Devil's Reign, and it would have been a perfectly fitting end. I mean, I thought those last ten issues with 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 War Child. I mean, that's it's plus it's also it's it's like the only story that that doesn't have Devil in the title. So it, it, that to me oh, also yeah, feels yeah. different. But it, it's if I want to, for me, uh, because he is a sidekick. In, in in the last story, if I want a Grendel Prime story, I read Jason's favorite new Batman story and 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 the second <laughs> crossover. So I mean, it's that's that's where I'm going to get more Prime from. And I I also have the and see that's the other thing I have right above my head right now, written by Greg Rucka, the novel Grendel Past Prime, which is is you know still a Grendel Prime story. I didn't read but that. But even then, it's still not. It's still not, you know, a, a Grendel or a Grendel as a force type story. So, yeah, I think, I think that's probably why, Jason, you don't, well, mm-hmm. me at least, but you may not hear a lot of Grendel Prime love because it's not like 
what's a great Grendel Prime story? Well, you could tell, we can tell you where a great Hunter Rose story is, or, you know, great Christ, well, her only story, or, you know, I mean, every other Grendel character has their story. Right. Prime kind of doesn't. It, right. You're right. It's, it's, a, it's awesome to see, and, and, and I, as I told you guys before we started recording, I, I read a lot of Grendel this week. Um, it, it's, it's, it's awesome to see, uh, the massive growth in his artistic abilities. Yes. From start yeah. to, to the finish. It's, it's, uh, and, and you know, lots of artists, if you go back and look at their early work, you, you, you say to yourself, oof, you know, I, I know, uh, Jim Lee always talks about the, his first public work he's embarrassed by and so forth, so on. But, but I mean, it's just, uh, it's, it's, it's so, so different. I mean, the, the first issues of, of, of Mage and, and, and this first stuff in the Kamiko from, from Grendel, I mean, in particular, is, is very, very simple line work. It's, it's, in the Kamiko stuff, I mean, the characters, Hunter Rose included, look almost like, like little people. Uh, they're very, they're very stubbed. Uh, the, the, the anatomy. It's very independently. It's yeah. Very independent looking book. Well, I'll tell you what it reminded me of. And, and I, I, again, Vaughn if we Bode. had more time. No, it reminded me of, uh, of, 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 of Sim and Gerhardt, really. Uh, oh, nice. That's a good look. Uh, okay. And I, you know, yeah, I, I don't know if that was by accident or, or coincidence because of the time frame, but. I think there's a manga influence to it too, definitely, but it's definitely. I would say I would say more uh, anime than mm-hmm. than manga because the manga wasn't around all over the place. Sure. The cartoons were, but yeah, no, you're right, and it, it it's a it's a progression that that's awesome to see yeah. because you can see him. It, you know, if you're paying attention to the big picture, you can see him jettisoning jettisoning the stuff that doesn't really work. And, but and in the process, he's becoming more. The lines becoming more expressive, more fluid, and I think the line in the later stuff is just as spare as the line in the beginning. Mm-hmm. Only it's it's there's um it's imparted with experience towards the later stuff. He knows what to put down and what not to put down. Where in the beginning he's just like feeling himself out, right, trying right. to find. Yeah. It's great. It's a great to 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 see the progression. I love it. And I, you, yeah. nowhere else but comics do you get to see a, an artist grow like that. I'm, true. I'm, I'm going to reread. The hero defined since since you're so well since actually it's both of yours favorite of of the two so far but I it's hard for me too because it was I was <laughs> I was reading discovered as it was coming out it looks amazing from yeah, the first couple issues just like with Grendel a little rough but there's um and the coloring he hasn't really gotten the airbrushing. Until the later issues, which is I almost, awesome. I shit when he was talking about them fucking markers. And I knew that. I knew that. I, I can remember throwing those bastards across the room because they never worked the way I wanted really? them to. Oh, it was it was very hard. Um, it, it was basically a, a, a tube connected to um, a collar that snapped on the marker, mm-hmm. and the end of the tube was right near the tip of the marker, and the the, the marker was at an angle in wow. order for the the air to blow across the the tip of the marker and to try and get any kind of control you had to cut a mask you you couldn't just freestyle it because it was it was un, it wasn't dependable you you couldn't get that that finesse that you could with like a badger airbrush where you can ease up on the trigger and you know finesse it you, it was just like bam here's some color and the fact that he used it was like out the 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 uh it, it's him 
He got him to work. Oh man, it, it, I just, I love the way that series looks. And then it's like, oh cool, Major's coming back. And it just, it looked night and day from the first series. So I mean, so yeah. right there, the, the, the wind is, it, it wasn't knocked, but it was, it, it, it looked it's so and, oh. But I mean, but then, you know, there's, there's, uh, you know, there's a lot of things where they, he decided to call back on the first series, like, like issue 14 yeah. where, where, um, where Kirby's on the cover and, and Kevin screaming, no, well, he said the same thing when Edsel got shot in the first series on the cover. And, and then the, uh, and, and so we have, we have Kirby and Joe and we have the magician who's like, okay, so who's, 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 who's the stubby bearded mirth looking dude. So, I mean, there were just some, th- it, it, it had, it had, a, it had an obstacle to overcome with me. And, and I mean, and I read it and I loved it to hell. And, and I got all the little jokes about, you know, the giants, Bob Shrek, it's, it, it's his brother-in-law and, and, and then the witches are the, uh, the shut sisters and, and there's his wife and, and who Vince is checking their ass out. And, and I mean, there's all these, you know, <laughs> I and, seriously was. And that was, and, and I'm, I, I love, I love you for bringing it up too. That was fucking awesome. Oh, and he, I just, and, and it's, it's so cool how, you, I have pictures you, from that day. Of course you do. The, uh, what, what was awesome is, um, he's, we, we know people, we may not talk to them on the show, but we, we talk to other creators and sometimes some of them may be like, yeah, well, you know, it's a job. It, it, it pays the bills. Yeah. So I wrote this and you know, yeah, it was just something to do or, or they asked me to do it and I did it and it was aggravating because of the editor or this, that, and the other. For whatever reason, you're talking to him and, and, and their heart really wasn't in it, but, but, but Matt is like, oh yeah, you know, and then I wrote Zorro and, and you just, you, you hear how happy he is. I mean, even though he's got to deal with the people who have to oversee Zorro and make sure that everything is, is up to snuff, he's still happy to be, he just, the, the enthusiasm just, just comes across. Yeah. And the, the thing that gets me is like, um, I don't tell the mage story. Mage tells its yes. own story. Like when I'll get to it when it wants to be done, like when it wants to be done, as if it's this sentient force that's that's channeling itself into his brain and out of his hands. Mage defines when mage gets done. That's nuts because a whore would say, you know what? There are a lot of people who really enjoyed the past past two books. I'm going to kick this shit out like a mother and just go to the bank, you know? But he's not. He he's waiting for that story to decide when it wants to be told. That's awesome. That is. Awesome. That is, that I is can't, I, which is why I can't. I I don't. I don't want him to rush something. Obviously, but if, I mean, and that's the other thing that this is. It's there are a lot of his life experiences exaggerated in the comic, of course. But but a lot of what's going on in the Mage comic series are tied to things that happen in his life. So, I mean, yeah. why would I want something that's, you know, the air quotes, autobiographical? Why would I, why would I want that half-assed or, or him to rush through it? Or, oh, you know, it's a trilogy. Well, give me the third part. No, just, it's, it's not your story to tell or to read. It's his story to tell and he'll give it to you when he's ready. Yeah. He will tell no mage before it's there time. You go. Um, and you know what? I got to commend you for holding your own in his presence because uh, you have to do is rewind this this episode. I was a little bit tongue tied in the beginning. I thought you went to go back to school or something. Oh no, I'm sitting here and it's Matt Wagner <laughs> dropping the science. I was like, holy shit, this is awesome. And I was the same way back in the day. He he is a, a one of the one of the big names 
in 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 my comics pantheon yeah. and we had him here and i yeah this is basically your deal which is the way it should be right and it's really it scares me a bit when he mentioned that you know oh yeah your wife kind of mirrors edsel and i'm thinking david has planned his entire life <laughs> to mage and i never noticed it i never did which one of us is mirth I just want to be Joe Fat. I don't care who everybody yeah, else right. is. Yeah. That was pretty sweet. All right. That that was great. That was, that was great. Thank so, you, Jason. Look at, look at this. We have a little bit of time to kick back now and talk about uh, what you two have been reading. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> you don't want to tell us what you've been drawing? Been having fun. Uh, you have been having fun. I've been having fun checking out your Facebook post, man. Oh, faux show. Show. I, I could do those. Well, I called them mono prints, but they're really not. They're mono types, but they are one time prints. So I call them mono prints. I could do those for the rest of my life. Want one? Uh, nope. Somebody would buy them, but I could do them for the rest of my life. Back to the real world uh, this Monday. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, no, don't remind me. Freaking uh, me down. Uh, man. Yeah, I'll walk in, sit down, start doing a few uh, pieces of work, and they'll get on me, and I'll just get up and walk out. Who knows? <laughs> I'll tell you what I what I read uh, uh, this week that was just I, I sat down, started reading it, and 300 pages later, uh, I didn't leave until I was done the the book. 300 pages later, mm-hmm. what could this be? Oh boy, I have no idea. It was Mr. James Stokoe's wonton soup. Oh yes. Wow. Yeah. They just called, they. Uh, published the collected edition. Yeah, both I just, right. I just yeah. got the collected edition uh, in my DCBS box from Oni, and uh, it was phenomenal. It was phenomenal. I, I'm not surprised. That's why I ordered it. It's what I expected, but it was just amazing. This was his creator-owned work that first came out in 2007, and then the second volume in 2009, and it uh, it follows the story of. Uh, the main character's name is Johnny Boyo, and he is uh, a almost cosmically talented chef, and he's all set up to be the best young chef in the universe, and he decides to give up uh, a, a apprenticeship and a job at a 10-star restaurant and his spot as the uh, best student at this Culinary Academy to go universe hopping with his, uh, his, his, his buddy. And he becomes essentially a, uh, a, a, a pirate, a, a trader, if you will, like a Han Solo type. And he spans the galaxy in search of dangerous and exciting foods to cook and eat. Um, and it's just, it's another example of Stokoe's unbridled creativity. The same kind of stuff we saw in Orkstein, only this time set in, uh, a space opera. It, it was fantastic. It was sexy and funny and visually arresting and unbelievably detailed and fast paced and funny and heartfelt and, uh, it, it it's astounding. I, I may think, I, I think I may have enjoyed it more than Orkstein and I loved Orkstein. So, um, yeah. Have you read it? Yes. Okay. Yes. Yeah. We talked about it back in the, back in the day. day. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> Uh, no, I gotta go with Orkstein. Yeah, I, I, I thought, yeah, I thought Wonton was great, there's, but there's Orkstein. Bias here, so, yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. I'm sorry, it's only, it's two, it's only 200 pages, but, uh, oh. the best part about it though is it's 12 bucks. Yeah. It's 12 bucks 
Or, I, mean, I think each each value was twelve. That doesn't say it's it's it's. I guess it's twenty five bucks, but it cost me twelve twelve bucks. But but uh, yeah, it's 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 pretty amazing stuff. Um, uh, he, he, I mean, it's just craziness. He 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 has a cook off, which you know, Dave, you would love this because we're both fans of the of the cooking shows. And he has this cook off where he has to face off against the number two students in the uh, academy, the culinary academy, when he returns to his planet to visit his girlfriend and uh they're they're a uh, they're a pair of uh, it's a, a male and female fraternal twins and they have a symbiotic relationship like the Fenris twins which allows them to be amazing chefs and they're having this cook off and they're so worried that they're about to lose to Johnny Boyo that the male twin kills the female twin and uses her as the main ingredient as a way to one up Johnny oh, Boyo shit it's uh it's just there's just Insane stuff. He, um, he, 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 they land on a planet after a mission. His, his buddy goes to the brothel, which you would think is a fairly typical or stereotypical, uh, thing for a space pirate to do. So what does Johnny Boyo do? He, he, he gets a hotel room with a kitchenette so that he can create this fish dish, uh, which, uh, essentially if it's not prepared just right, uh, the, the dish will, will eat your, will eat you instead, will blow your brains out if you don't eat it at just the right end. Um, it's just, just wild, wild stuff. Uh, uh, he's, he's, he's in love with, with, with the idea of different spices and, uh, uh, it's just, just crazy. I mean, Stoko just, you wonder if Stoko just was sitting around just smoking the dubs, just trying to figure out what he, what he could do, you know, I, I, I kind of wonder if in 2007 he was watching Iron Chef and just, and then, and then thought, what if Han Solo was on Iron Chef and then he created this? Cause that's what it feels like, uh, to me. But, uh, I, I, there's no reason anybody that is a fan of, of, of Stoko's work or even Brandon Graham's work, who, you know, they're good buddies. Uh, if you're, if you're a fan of, 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 of King City or multiple warheads, this is in that same, uh, that, that that same mind space, if you will. So I, I have to recommend this Wonton Soup, the complete edition by Oni Press. So man, it was awesome. It was really really great. I just uh, I read it. I read the whole thing, and it, actually I was wrong. It is about three hundred pages. Um, I read the whole thing in probably two hours, maybe. Wow. Just just zooming through it. It was I couldn't put it down. So. This is the episode where I bring up stuff that Vince apparently talked about on the show, but I'm supposed to remember. It happens. Oh, good, good guy. <laughs> hey, have you guys seen that Jodorowsky Dune documentary? <laughs> I heard it's good. Heard it's good too. Yeah, I gotta check it out. I hope that Scotty recommended it to me because it was awesome. Dick. But now I know how David feels every week. In all seriousness though, it was unreal, right? Yes, it was. And, it's and, it's inspirational, actually. It is, and the cool thing about the the documentary is, I have always had a huge affinity for movies or stories that are basically about getting the band together or back together, as the case may be. I've always loved those kung fu fix or those seventy action seventies action flicks where they're you do they're getting that group together, whether, you know, they got to get the Kung Fu fighter and then they get the tough guy. And they, and that's what this documentary essentially is. Yeah. See, I find that tedious. I don't like it when they do it in the comics. It just bugs the shit out of me. 
but because it's Yodorowsky and it's it's more about the creative process than it is about yes it's about getting the band together but it's about his instinct and his willingness to surrender to whatever forces he thinks are out there that's pushing him in these directions to get his art made that that's brave it's and and luckily for him he had the luxury to be able to do that because you know people got to eat and and it's nice to be able to say yes i'm doing this for the sake of the art but if the money's not coming in what do you do well that's the thing and they didn't they did not um um really explain that in the documentary right though it's to be to your point it's to be implied that for those 2 years or whatever it was he was putting the group together and making the books the the pitch book if you will it, I, I guess it's to be implied that 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 his french producer that's in the movie was paying all these guys because there's no right. way uh, Mobius and Giger and Foss would have been <laughs> Giger's not cheap, right? Would have been hanging around yeah. him for months on end producing stuff without being paid a shit ton, right? So, and you would think that over the years they would try to recoup some of that that cost by publishing the book. I mean, regardless of the fact that the movie never happened, that book contains gorgeous artwork by Mobius no longer around you know chris foss it's just why haven't they published that well, in any form the the producer uh M- M- michelle sedu is it michelle sedu yeah. he said in the documentary that the reason it doesn't it, it's not been reproduced is because they made each one by hand that there it was it was color photography color photographs and copies manual copies of of each book it was a per- handmade books Right, there's a way around everything. You could, I mean, come on, get one of those books, cut it apart, slap those pages on a scanner if you have well, to. to point, right, I think at the right at the at the end of the documentary they said there were only two known copies left in existence, but we know for a fact that Yodorovsky had one because he kept showing us it in the documentary. Right. So right, that, he's teasing us with it, <laughs> teasing. He put it down on the table, kachunk, this gigantic book. Publish that bitch. Come on, we want to see that. And how awesome was it as as it's wrapping up? How they show all these different iconic scenes from movies that were massive, massive classic films, and they would show you the 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 imagery from the Dune book, and then the mm-hmm. scene that these films were in. And there's really no denying that that whole era of filmmakers were inspired by those images. There's no yep. you can't deny it. You cannot look at those images and know the the history of of all of those creators and think that they weren't directly influenced from that book. Yep, greatest movie that was never made. Seriously, it, it really uh, is a phenomenal work, and and it's funny to you because for you you found it tedious. For me, the 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 cornerstone of that documentary, why I loved it so much, was the getting the band. It's just his quest right. to put this team together, and 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 I didn't find it tedious about the documentary. Mm-hmm. I mean, in in other media, mm-hmm. in in comics, I find it tedious, and in in movies, but this documentary was special. I didn't. There was nothing tedious about it. But go ahead. No, and I was going to say that the idea that that he had to literally travel the world to do this. This wasn't. We didn't have the internet. We didn't have PR agents. You could where you could email someone and say, "Hey, I'd like to work together." He literally had to fly to different places in the world and and run into these people at parties or restaurants and impress upon them who he was, get yeah. them to meet with him. Uh, it, it really was an astounding thing, and the guy is. I mean, he's batshit insane, right? You have to, I mean, I mean, I mean, he put his son through effectively torture. I don't think he's insane. Well, he calls himself insane. He says he's, 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 he's eccentric. Yeah. 
But if if you uh, are you familiar with his movies yes. at, at all, okay, and and his comics, there's always a character that just surrenders themselves to the whim of uh, uh, fate, I guess, or 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 um, creation. He there there's there seems to be. Uh, he needs to be guided by whatever he considers that thing is that informs his artistic process right. or inspires him. And he just, it's like he just leans back and says, take me wherever you want me to go. And he surrenders himself to that. That is incredibly difficult to do in this day and age. He's lucky that he has the resources to be able to do that. Meta Barons, that's that, that's almost the whole story. Just, just people surrendering themselves to whatever it is that they they hold dear i would love to be able to do that how how do you get to that point where you you just you just lay back and let the stream take you where it's gonna right why can't we all do that that's life that that is the per he's living the perfect life and he i'm I'm sure he knows it if he doesn't yodo you're living the perfect life (laughs) uh i think it's the ideal to which we all inspire just be guided by our principles and our and our creative impulses, but we but we're not because we have to go to work and we have to do things we don't want to do and we have to pay bills. Yet he's living this blessed existence where he could do everything, and he can have his his artistic cake and eat it too. Yeah, it's 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 incredible. Uh, it it truly was, and the idea that he he went to Orson Welles and said. You come to the film, I'll have this chef from this restaurant cook for you on every day. <laughs> hey, fat man, you want to eat good? Uh-huh. Come work with me. Yeah. And, and Dolly. Oh, I know, Dolly. I'll pay, I'll pay you $100,000 a minute. Uh, yeah. Isn't, isn't that typical Dolly whose only restriction was he become the highest paid actor in the history of cinema? Like, not, no, I won't help you out because the story is worthwhile or, or because the art is sound. I want to be paid the most right. of everyone who ever came before me. Ah, there's a whore. I, I love Dolly's stuff, but the man was definitely a whore. No, no question. But but the documentary yeah. itself, the story is fascinating, but I, I think as a documentary, I do enjoy documentaries quite a bit. I, I think it was a masterfully well-done documentary. They, they capture Yodorovsky's spirit, his energy, and there's a few moments that are masterful. He's so excited and energetic and giddy throughout the whole thing, and then there's that one moment where we get to the point where we realize that the movie's never going to get made and they they have that pregnant pause where you see Yodorovsky angry yeah and, and you, yep. you see the anger boil out of him for just a minute or two of the of the movie and then he's back to moving on with his life it's it's yeah. awesome it's god it was a well it was a well done documentary it was it yeah. was really incredible i i uh man uh it it was powerful stuff really really there powerful was stuff. there was two moments like that for me uh, the first was when he was, and it's not in chronological order. The first was when he was asked what he thought about David Lynch's version. Yes. And, and you would think that he was, he'd be like, uh, you know, play the, 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 the game and because Lynch is a fellow filmmaker and I'm sure they would run into each other, you know, at some time. And he's just like, no, it's shit. It's garbage. <laughs> but the, there was more to it than that though because he did, he, he said he didn't want to see it because because he thought Lynch was a true artist and and possibly one of the few people that could pull it off. And he was living his dream, and his son said, no, you're a warrior, you're going to come see this film. Right. And he said as the film went along, he got happier and happier because it was total shit. 
Right, but the, I mean, it's—I it, don't think it is. It's just not his version of it. But but the, but the point, you, to your point, he was gleeful when he yeah. realized that in his mind it was a piece of shit. He was gleeful. Right. And he said, "I know I shouldn't feel this way, but it's that's a human reaction." He's just such an honest person. Uh, he was vindicated, right? In, in his mind, and the the second one was the cat. Yes, yes, the, they, the cat they left awesome. that in there, right? Where he 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 totally gets off center to. to to deal with the cat for a few minutes and then, and they just left that as part of, as part of the filming. You're right. David, he's waxing poetic about the process and the story and blah, blah, blah. you know how Yodorowsky speaks in, in grand gestures and the cat walks into the room and he stops dead and you hear, you hear like off, off camera and he's like, hello little baby, come here. And he just abandons his current thought process for the cat. Yes. So he's he's he goes from impossibly large Yodorowsky to infinitesimally small, narrow. Just taking he's just taken up with this cat, and I'm sure he's seen the cat like a million times. But it, the cat was the most important thing to him at that time. Juxtapose that that cat with what he does to his own son for the good of the movie, where he says, "Listen, there was nothing I wouldn't do to make this film because my art is is compels me. I would have cut off my arms to make this movie." So to him, sacrificing his son's life for two years was worth it because it was part of the art, and it, yep. it didn't matter to him that he was essentially stealing his son's childhood for two years to turn him into a trained killing machine to to play uh, Moadi. But but uh, man, gotta break a few eggs. And I'll to tell make you what, uh, and Giger is a creepy freaking dude. I mean, talk yeah, about a guy that fits his art, right? I mean, mm -hmm. um, who's passed away actually recently, but yeah, but uh, and you could you could tell in the in the documentary he's not doing well. No, you're right, you're right. Yeah, yeah, and that was kind of uncomfortable. It was. I mean, the, the, the movie, they should have just called the movie Legends on Parade because everybody who passed through this thing is a legend. Mobius, Chris Foss, Giger, Yodorowsky, Orson Welles, uh, Dali. It's just everybody, they're, they're, it's the heavy hitters. And it's just an incredible documentary. I really loved was. it. Yeah. So thanks yeah. again, Scotty, for recommending it. Good old Scotty, <laughs> man. Love that dude. That's the best. He's, he's on the pulse. Finger right there. Ah, <laughs> oh, good God. David, what, what have you been reading that wasn't Matt Wagner for this episode? Uh, that wasn't Matt Wagner. Well, well, you don't have to limit no, it. To no, no, it. it's, it's, I mean, I did. It's, um, uh, I, this shouldn't be news to anybody, but Nick Klein is a goddamn beast. Um, mm. you don't, you, you don't hear about him too much because, I mean, after, after a Viking, there wasn't mm. much said, but then he did, he did that issue of Thor, I think it was 12 or 13, where it was the issue between, um, the, the, the God Bomb arc and the Malekith arc. Um, so Nick Klein did that Thor God of Thunder issue. And then it's pretty much been it that I've seen from him until recently where I finished and got all caught up on, uh, Captain America. And in between the Pacheco issues, Nick Klein drew the Iron Nail arc, and it is – it looks stunning. I, I think it looks better than, than the – I don't – I wouldn't consider him a villain artist. I think he, he actually should be one of the Captain America artists on, on, on the book. Um, it's uh, – that's, that's funny. I, I'm not even done with Castaway and Dimension Z. Oh, <laughs> it's – I mean, it's been – it's – it's nuts watching watching this all unfold because you know it's it's um I remember that that, that whole Dimension Z arc and then uh 
you know, so now Steve is, is a man out of time twice and, and he's trying to get acclimated and, and, and reacquainted to things and, um, and, you know, it, between this, this series, um, all new invaders and, and to, um, and, and because of what's going on, because Remender's writing Captain America and writing Uncanny Avengers, um, we're seeing that, or at least I'm, I'm noticing that Steve Rogers, that Captain America isn't perfect. He, he does, he, because there's so much going on with him or he's been through so much recently, um, he's letting things slip through the cracks. He's, he's not honed in on everything. And, mm-hmm. uh, it's, it, it's, I don't know if I want to say it's neat to see, but it, it's just, it's, it's, it's different because we don't usually see, and I mean, and, and Aaron's doing the same thing in, in Thor God of Thunder, where, you know, during the, the, uh, the accursed storyline where, where the, the League of, of Realms is, they're, they're chasing down Malakath, there's, there are times where, uh, Thor, thinks he's doing the right thing, but he was actually in error. And, and, um, and, and sadly I'm not up to date on, on Iron Man, so I don't know if across the board Marvel's Trinity are, are slipping a bit here and there when things come up. But, um, no, it's just, it's, it, they have, you know, feet of clay. There's nothing that God are, just gonna say that <laughs> they, you know, it's not. I, I guess we can't all have Otto Octavius you know, in our heads and 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 making sure we do the right thing. But it it's it's a uh, it's just Remender's just been it. I this isn't. I mean, we 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 picked up on this during the when 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 Remender relaunched Captain America. It, it this wasn't Brew Baker's espionage heavy. Captain America run. This was right. the, a lot of what Remender's doing with with the um, with the flashbacks, with with the adventures. Cap is going on. It reminds me of Grunwald's Cap. It reminds me of the Mateus stuff. Yeah, and it's yes. just it. Oh really? Oh, yeah. No. It, it. I mean, when you get and and then there's um, wow, there's a flashback Dude. with the Iron Nail stuff where the Winter Soldier shows up, and and again, and you know, and Remender's writing the Bitter March, and and there's just, so it's just. It's huh. we're 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 so focused on what Bendis is doing with the X books and what Hickman is doing with the Avengers. It's like Remender's just kind of carved out this little corner with with you know the one or two characters he's working with, and and granted, Uncanny Avengers is more than one or two characters, but it's he's just he is also kind of in his own little world like Hickman and Bendis are. And, and he's not, they're not really interfering on the Captain America stuff. I mean, now I don't know how the rest of this, the new, after the Iron Nail and, um, well, actually before Iron Nail, there was a, there was pretty much a jet, a jet black centric issue. Um, and, uh, and that also, you know, brings back the S-Men, which is from Remender's earlier, Uncanny Avengers stuff, and uh, so I'm, I'm I'm digging how it all kind of ties. And and again, it goes back to where I always say that you know you can if you if you read Avengers or Justice League, chances are you also read some of a title or two that the 
heroes of that team are in. You know, if you read Avengers, you probably also read Captain America or maybe Thor and Iron Man. So it, it, yeah. it, it works where right, right, right. I, you know, if, if something, if something happens in, in Captain America and it's a throwaway line in Uncanny Avengers, there's a connection there. And, and it's fine that it's Remender writing all this and he's not, you know, just taking something that maybe Jason Aaron, and that's, and, and again, Jason Aaron writes about something in Thor, God of Thunder, and that ties into something in, in Uncanny Avengers. So, um, I'm, I'm kind of just really digging this, this kind of new shared universe they have going on again at, at Marvel that was kind of, maybe it wasn't missing when Bendis was, was writing the Avengers, but it, it wasn't as shared, I'll say. Um, right. but it's, no, I, I, I mentioned it last week as my in your travels, but now that I am caught up and up to date and, and Vince, you need to catch up because once you finish the arc you're reading, uh, and you're up to date and read 22, you will appreciate things on, I, I have an idea where, where, what we're going to see, but, um, what are you talking about? Um, all new X Men? No, 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 no. Um, Captain oh, America twenty two. Captain America, yeah. yeah. See that? That's weird. To me, it feels like Jack's back, Mad Bomb era, Captain America. Like when Jack came back to Marvel right. in the, it, it's it's that willy nilly off kilter, crazy ass, anything can happen. Jack Kirby, Mad Bomb. That Captain and America. and that was definitely apparent in the first twelve issues, but now that he's back on Earth. It's not as crazy Mad Bomb, but there's, um, it's still, it's still very superhero-y. More, more so than, than Brute Baker good, stuff good. ever was. Cause I mean, it's no surprise that the, uh, the Dimension Z stuff pleases me infinitely more than the Brew Baker stuff. Which is not to slight sure, no, Brubaker's but knowing run. Your, it's just, knowing your life is more for your speed, yeah. I, yeah, yeah, that's not my absolutely. thing. I, I appreciate the storytelling and the artistry involved, but give me some more dimensions in. Right. Well, yeah, I'm I'm yeah, hoping that it read, doesn't go away. Okay, all right, great. And I gotta say, Junior's inspired on this Captain America stuff. I, I see inspiration on almost every page, and I look at the I Superman guess he stuff. It there, then. No, I'm looking at the Superman stuff, and it's just it, there's there's no it, there's no spark. Mm. The Dimension Z, it's, it's, it's crazy. Yeah, it is. It is. And, and I'm getting glimpses of, um. He was so inspired that he went ahead and signed at DC. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm, I'm getting, I'm getting glimpses of the, uh, Al William, Williamson, uh, junior era Daredevil when Mephisto oh, had oh, mantits yeah. and stuff. <laughs> I'm, I'm getting flashes of that and it's just, it's so pleasing to me. Mm. Well, you didn't dig on Junior's art? No, on the I did. Dimension? I was just teasing. Cause, oh, yeah. Um, the, <laughs> the, the, the news that there, there will be a female Mjolnir so wielder. Glad you bring this up. I'm glad you're not, not because of the controversy, because I don't really care. Whatever, such as it is, which is right. not, it's no controversy at all. I'm sure that there was a female Thor before. Like, wasn't there one during, uh, uh, not, whose run was it? Um, it was in the late nineties, I believe, after the Warren Ellis stuff that, uh, didn't Jurgens have a female Thor? Yeah. I'm, th- I remember a woman with the helmet and the, the 
the hammer. Uh, maybe I'm wrong, but it just seems like there was because the, the, one of the points they're making is it's the first time a female has wielded the hammer. I don't know about that. Well, the the only thing I've seen is a bunch of people, including uh, Rob Liefeld, tweeting links to a what if story from back in the day right. where, she, where there was a Shabby. female Thor. But other than that, they are definitely billing it as the first time. And, and I don't remember a time where a female wielded as Thor. I'm thinking in the Jurgens run somewhere, there's a, there's, if not a female Thor, there's a female Asgardian with the helmet that looks a lot like Thor. I, 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 I'm, I'm, I distinctly remember it. Mm-hmm. I can't say who it was because it's a footnote. Uh, in in the long Thor story, but I, I remember a woman I, at least on the cover. Well, are you thinking of Thor Girl? From uh, from I could because that was Dan Jurgens. Okay, maybe that's what I'm thinking. Doreen of. was her name. Yeah, not a Speaking not a very JRJR drew her. Right. So. Oh, okay. No, uh, I don't know. It's 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 um. Remember when Marvel was cutting the books a little smaller? Than, than regular comic size. And I know this only because when you tried to put it in a regular comic size back and forth, it didn't come up to the little spot yes. that the other ones did. I, that era, Thor, um, I remember. Uh, it could have been Thor Girl. I don't know. Memory memory is fuzzy. Because she, she was seen back then and then wasn't seen for a long time, but, but was in um, The Initiative. Right. Okay, which I didn't read. No, really? Really? I don't remember the Avengers Initiative. I don't remember uh, if I did read it. Civil I, War with the fifty yeah, state initiative. If I did read it, I don't remember it. Mm. So Stefano Caselli left a hell of a mark on me. <laughs> One of the main antagonists of that was 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 Clore, Clone Thor. Ah, okay. So, uh, but yeah, I I I'm with you. I think that the the quote unquote controversy is is ridiculous. It's, it's whack. Yeah. What's the whole beef that people are making? I don't. I don't. Well, I guess I, I have, the, the beef is bifurcated. You've got the people that that, that are complaining about the fact that 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 there's going to be a female Thor, uh, calling it gimmicky, um, which which I, I which is almost it's it's almost exhausting to bother to retort to something like that. Because, right. Yeah. Okay, especially I mean, look, there there's lots of we, we've talked about this a ton. There are certain characters with which we have specific affinities for. And we're far more lenient when it comes to messing with characters outside of that. Then there are a few characters that we each have that we don't want them to, to fuck with. And, and when they do it, it rubs us the wrong way. Um, and so while I will always have a sore spot in my heart for Jeff Loeb because he turned Wolverine into a dog, uh, it, it at the end of the day was just, story. was just a story, right? And, and if you're not a huge Wolverine fan, it was just a story. You could choose to read it, not read it, move on. Uh, you know, Remender's Frank, uh, Frank and Frank and, uh, uh, Castle. 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 Uh, but, but what really gets me about this one in particular is if you were to ask most Thor fans or most Marvel readers of our age, uh, what their favorite Thor was, most would say <laughs> Simonson. And yeah. two of Simonson's most iconic moments were <laughs> when he had an alien take over the hammer and when he turned <laughs> Thor into a frog. It's so hypocritical. So it's, it really so the is. the notion that for a time, and it's not <laughs> like they're sex-changing Thor. A, no. a, a, a woman in his life is going to wield Mjolnir for a while. Uh, Thor has been a frog. There's been an alien. He's he's inhabited the body of a human and had to split time and altered dimension. Uh, speaking of the Grunwald, I mentioned that. Captain America's been a fucking werewolf. He's He's yeah. been trapped in a dim, another dimension. He's died. He's 
he's he's he's been an anti-establishment hero called the the U.S. agent, the agent, right? I mean, he's yeah. well, no, I know, but I'm saying he was. Then you had he was nomad for a time. You've had Spider-Man be cloned. You've had him have a symbiote living on him. You've had him have eight arms. You've had him die. You've had him be a father and married and then lose that. My point is, and, and I know I'm preaching to the to the to the choir here. These are just pieces of a puzzle that will be put back into place at some point in time. And what I don't understand when you get this visceral reaction like we see from time to time, and to be fair, when we say there's hate out there, it's it's a minority. It's there's always going to be some small segment of the vocal social media that hate something, and we have a tendency to overstate. The disdain for it. I, I I don't know that it's fair to say that the majority of people that found out Thor was going to be replaced by a woman disliked the idea. Uh, but you hear the voices of the naysayers because they're out there uh, making their voices heard. And it's just ridiculous. Aaron is still doing the book. He's done the best Thor that we've seen since Simonson. Uh, mm-hmm. give, give the guy faith. If, 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 you, if you don't want to try it, cool. Don't try it. If you try it and don't like it, cool. Say you don't like it and why. But the idea that it's gimmicky is ridiculous. All big two comics are a gimmick. Their whole goal is to entice us to pay to read more stories about these characters that we already know. That's the whole idea. Events are gimmicks. Reboots are gimmicks. New artists and new writers are gimmicks. That's the business. The business is el- figuring out a way to entice us to come back. Right. You know? If they can change their most iconic character and and supplant him with the consciousness of his arguably greatest foe and i'm talking about spider-man anything's possible right and we shouldn't we should expect anything that's the joy of comics you should expect any friggin' thing to happen exactly exactly if if you're going into it saying i want my thor to be thor forever then you know that's stagnation and stagnation doesn't make for great art right Um, and and, and that's the thing i mean don't we like comics because they're creative, because they're exciting, yeah. because... Well, you would think, right? You would think that's why we like and, them. And isn't one of the things that we and in the industry fight the most is is the fact that we've been reading many of these characters for 30, 40 years? Yeah. And, 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 uh, and again, I, I don't want to come off as a hypocrite. I, I have... I'm sure people can cite episodes where I or you two probably too in your own ways have complained about... Some plot sure. contrivance that bothered us. Uh, so so yeah. I get that it may bother you, but I just am very exhausted at the idea of the grand emotional reaction to something that hasn't even been produced yet. Yep. Uh, right. I think in our defense, though, we do. Well, you're right. We have railed against things we found uh, to be affronts against whatever we hold dear, but we don't wish you know, ill will on the people that are making it, or we don't, you know, say they're the scourge of the comic book publishers and they should be stamped out forever. Like, it's just, it's an annoyance to us at at, at times, but we don't act like it's, you know, the end of the world because we, we have other things occupying our minds. You know, we have families and jobs and, and we we take real things into consideration, not like, I, I, I don't know, I'm sorry, if you go on the internet and 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 blast and 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 uh demean people for making comic books that aren't 
within, you know, what you want to see, you need to find another outlet. Like, go buy an Xbox or something and play a game or read a book. Just occupy yourself with something. It's this, Something like this is really beneath your notice. It, it should be beneath your notice. Get on the ride and enjoy yourself. That's what it's about. What? Exactly. Yeah. No, I, that's the thing. I, I don't, I just, I don't even. Too many people bitching. Yep. Well, it, it's but, true. Right, and that's and, the thing. I mean, we can, we can all, my, my thing is the whole prejudging. I just, it, it's something that's not even, it's not coming out for another three and a half months, but it, it's already, it, no one is, no one's actually, never mind it. I mean, I could, it, you want to say it's gimmicky as it is, but it's not like, it, 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 it's not like Jason Aaron's not writing it or continuing to tell his story. Right, exactly. It's, right. it's, it's, to me, this is different even, um, when they announced the change of Moon Knight to, uh, Brian Wood and our buddy Greg Smallwood. Right. Now, because we know Greg, Greg's work and are fans of it, I took that announcement as, as a positive because yep. I also didn't assume that Warren Ellis was going to stick around with the book because he never sticks around with a book that's not a creator owned book of his. Um, and the Lord, Lords know there's no bigger fan of Declan's work than mine. So, so, but, but when they changed that, I didn't immediately say, oh, there goes my, oh, I'm, I'm done with Moon Knight. I've heard so many people make snide comments about, oh, well, I always knew Moon Knight was going to be a limited series. Now, again, if you don't, if you're reading the book specifically because you love Warren Ellis or specifically because you like Declan, and they leave, it's totally rational for you to decide you don't want to continue with the book. No one should force you, or you shouldn't feel compelled to continue to buy a book if you're buying it for the creators and they leave. That's that's rational, that's fine. But I feel like it's this this uh, this compulsion to self-justify by, instead of saying, oh, I'm off the book because I was reading it for Warren, or I was reading it for Declan, to instead make it into be like, I knew that would be a, a limited series. I knew it from the start. Or, oh, there goes that book. And it's like, well, not really. I mean, right. you know, I mean, again, if you read it and then you say, boy, that book really fell off, that's different. That's different. That happens to, to all things. Uh, but yeah, I don't know. A- a- and again, it's, it's this, it essentially is, uh, in, in an essence, I guess we're all part of the same machine. To me, this is all about this generational shift to always having a voice. We, and, hmm. and, and we're all trying to shout over the, the, the din of everything else. And so the only way you can be heard when you're part of a Twitter feed where people are seeing a thousand other people tweet or you're on Facebook and someone has 5,000 friends is to be extreme. It's, 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 you can't, you have to hate something or, or absolutely be passionately in love with it so that it can feel significant enough to warrant the attention of whoever may see it. The, the days of saying, I dug that, or it wasn't for me, are just so gone because that falls into this ether of insignificance. People perceive that to be just noise now. And the signal is when someone screams from the rafters, either positively or negatively, about how significant this moment in time is. That's pretty sad. It's pretty sad. It is. But but yeah. I, I feel that that is, that is where we are at. Right. I just want to comment on something David said, and and he always makes this comment, and it works for him about not not judging things until they're actually out. Why do you think Marvel released the press 
information. They want you to judge. That's they, human they, nature. They I mean, I'm, I'm playing interested in it they want you to be aware yeah. they they need to have it out now because they need to announce it now so you can get to the comic shop and pre-order it because it's right. so i mean it, it, it can't come out it's not like a movie where they can announce it today and then people run out to the comic shop and if the dude didn't sell enough now you're sold out well who does that help right but it, see just to play devil's advocate when you go to the comic shop and say i want this you've already made the judgment no, you've you, already you've you've made first see this is this is my thing and, and whether, you know, it, you want to say it's semantics or not. When I, when I decide, when I'm taking a gamble, when I'm going to go ahead and read the latest issue of Captain America or Moon Knight or Superman, I don't, I'm not judging it. I'm going to say, well, you know, here's hoping I enjoy this. I don't, I, I don't, I can't judge something until I've consumed it. So I can't, I, I can hope I'm gonna like it, or maybe I didn't read that because I, I don't wanna see a Quentin Tarantino movie. Why? Well, these are my reasons. But I'm not going to go ahead and say that movie sucks because I didn't see it. No, I know what you mean, but I, what I'm saying is you're making a value judgment even in the act of wanting to read it. Like, the, the fact that you wanna go in blind and not, no preconceptions, you wanna judge this as a piece of art after you've consumed it, the fact that you decided to read it or watch it or digest it in whatever way you do, that's a value judgment right there. You've judged that thing as worthy of your consumption for whatever reason. And it's like the whole reason that film trailers are made. They And, and, and we've heard, uh, I'm not going to judge it on the trailer. That's all you have to judge. That's why a trailer exists for you to judge and make a, make a judgment on whether you want to experience this or whether you don't based on what's in that trailer. These things are, you make judgments every damn second of your life. It's just the way th- it's human nature. But the thing is, you don't take it to extremes. You lay back and you say, I'm going to, I'll get to this when I get to that and I'll take it as it is. And that's, that's awesome. But you have people out there saying, this is going to be shit, and that's wrong right. because you can't make that call without having, you know, seen it. Yeah, and but I, yeah, right. And I also think, to your point, there is a difference with the before Watchmen stuff. David wasn't vibing on that for his own reasons, but right. there's a difference between because this business is different to to which we're getting at because of the market and that you have to essentially pre-order stuff for a lot of things to even exist. There is a bit of pre-selling that has to happen. Yeah. But I think there is a difference between saying, here's what I know from the solicit, not for me. Or in, that, to me, that is different than going out and saying, this is, I'm not buying this because it's going to suck. No, you don't right. know that it's going to suck. You, it may not appeal to you. It's right. perfectly rational. And so you shouldn't buy it. And then if at some point someone that you trust says it's really great, you should try it, maybe you'll reconsider. But that's much different than saying, oh, my God, that's going to suck. I'm not buying it. That, because you just don't know. You right. don't yeah. know. But you have to understand. I mean, you of all people, Jason, Marvel knows their audience. They 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 know full well that if they release a bit of press saying Thor is going to uh, completely change and it's going to be a woman. They know the kind of reaction that part of their audience is going to give them and they're banking on that. If they released a press release that said in issue whatever of Thor, everything stays the same. Like, no one would care. 
No, no one, and it would do the exact opposite of what a press release is supposed to do. Get you either, push you to polar opposites of, 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 of what they're, what, you know, information. Mm-hmm. You're going to have people that love it, you're going to hate it. If, if a press release falls in the woods and nobody cares, it's, it doesn't make, it Yeah, just I, I agree. And again, it gets back to my thing is with this whole idea of, oh, that's gimmicky. Um, I don't even know what that means in the context of a commercial product. <laughs> Do you know? I mean, I mean, they're in the business of selling the product. So, for example, um, there would not be a Rocket Raccoon solo series and a Star Lord solo series right now if there wasn't a major motion picture coming out. Yeah. So, by the same leap of logic, putting out Rocket Raccoon is gimmicky, right? I mean, it's a gimmick because you're you're trying to appeal to a, a commercial opportunity you see right now because of the awareness of the character. But regardless of the motivation to make the book or not, the book is what it is, which as it happens, a fantastically enjoyable story. Oh, Scotty sure. pulled that, off. It yeah. could easily, just as easily have felt like a commercial tag on, but, but the, to your point, the art is the art. It, it, it exists Regardless of the motivation for how it became into existence, it is what it is. And in this mm-hmm. case, it's awesome. There are plenty of other cases where there have been spin-off related stories that haven't been that awesome, at least in my many, opinion. many, many, many more. Right. But, but that's, right. But, but the, but, but regardless of whether it's awesome or not, um, it doesn't change the fact that it's commercially driven, at least True. in some way there. Again, Marvel is, is a subsidiary and- of Disney. They are in the business. Of selling right, and, product. And people act surprised when these things happen. Like, oh, they're really milk and guardians. Yeah, they are, because it's going to be huge. It, it's For them not to milk guardians to a significant extent would be counter their sure. whole reason for existence. Sure. And the other thing about with this Thor thing is you've got complainers who, I, and I don't want to generalize, but, but from what I saw today, most of the people taking issue with the decision to make the Mjolnir wielder a woman were female comic fans. And, and again, I'm not generalizing. I'm sure there were some male fans that were against it or bothered by it. And some female fans were for it. But from those that I follow on blogs and Facebook and Twitter, it seemed like most of the complaints were from female comic readers. And again, if the premise of that complaint is this is a money grab gimmicky move, it makes no sense to me because, because you, you, the only ones that are bothered by it are the people that are the only ones that know that Thor exists anyway. Like, right. like if the average woman is not going to run out and buy, uh, or be, buy Thor because it's a female, like that's not going to happen. That, that, that's not how the world works. Yeah. Right? They're, they're, they may go see the Thor movie because Chris Hemsworth is an attractive man. Right? I mean, but they're not, so it's just, I don't, like, it's illogical to dismiss this as being commercially gimmicky. It's not commercially right. gimmicky to turn a major movie icon into a female. That's not gimmicky. And it, it's even more ridiculous when you take a step back and look at the mechanics of the character of Thor. Whosoever is found worthy to, to wield the hammer of Thor becomes Thor, right? So it, it's built into the concept that the possibility of someone other than Donald Blake picking up the hammer 
is very, very possible. That, to me, is less egregious than just throwing somebody in the bat suit. You know? Mm -hmm. It's conceptually sound to say that someone else can pick up the hammer. Whereas, you know, let's put a woman in the bat suit. Eh, whatever. That, that, that to me smacks more of, of, um, uh, merchandising and, 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 uh, you know, uh, hyper exaggerated, uh, story possibilities than someone legit picking up the hammer. It's happened. It's, it's, it's not beyond the realm of possibility. I, I don't know. I just think, God, it's, it's crazy what people get upset about. Mm-hmm. It's just crazy, yeah. crazy. All right. Let, we gave that enough. Yeah. Too far, yeah, far too much air time. Yeah. Let's talk about, and just to get back to Scotty, yow. I, we, we talked about this, but they're lucky that they have Scotty on that book because yeah, someone who wasn't as conscious of, of art could have just hacked that out, but there's no hack work going on in that book. It's legit. It is seriously legit and it doesn't play out the way you think it, it would or should. It's, it's, Scotty's play doing what he loves. It's it's an amazing book. It is. It is. Yeah. I have. A- and that that was the requisite. Let's kiss Scotty's ass moment for this episode. It's true. It, yeah. How could you not? Very true. We have to give Mark uh, Lamming his due before we're done too. Oh boy. <laughs> so what do you want to do? You want to? Uh, we have all covered some bases here. You want to bring this baby home? Sure. All right, as usual, this episode, uh, that sounded much too enthusiastic of an all right. because you want to get back to your art. (laughs) All right. As usual, this episode of uh, 11 O'Clock Comics has been brought to you by who? Discount Comic Book Service, DCBService.com, where you and your buddies and everybody you know can get significant discounts on your favorite funny books and collectibles, such as, get this, we're talking discounts, 50%, 45%. Uh, 45%. The Aliens, uh, Prometheus, uh, uh, Predator crossover called Fire and Stone is on the horizon. You can get both of these 350, uh, cover price issues for $1.75, 50% off. The bumper head hardcover from Gilbert Hernandez over at Drawn and Quarterly is 45% off. You get it for $12.07. And Charles Burns' Sugar Skull, which I cannot wait to read. $23 cover price, your price, $12.65 for a massive oversized hardcover. It's not thick, but it's big in footprint. It's huge. So she said. And I can't wait. I can't. Yeah. And I can't wait to read it. So do that. DCBService.com. Get thee to their uh, hallowed halls and you'll save money. In your travels... Um, I'm going to lose Jason with this one, but I don't care. <laughs> I'm going to lose most of you with this one. Uh, but I love this book. I think it is such a worthwhile read. I wait for it every month. And unfortunately, the thing that makes it so compelling to me is the thing that kind of sh- squashes it in the marketplace. And I'm talking about Fred Perry's Gold Digger. I love Gold Digger. I, I really do love this book. And, and the complexity and just the huge cast of characters and the mythology that has come before make it virtually impossible for a new reader to read this thing. I mean, that's what I'm saying. The, the book, the thing that makes this book so unique and so special is actually the thing that stops this book from falling into the hands of new readers. But I, I love every page of it. 
Uh, Gina Diggers is a cosmic archaeologist. Her uh, arch enemy is Dreadwing. He is a actually he's a he's a dragon um, that can physically alter his form. And when I I'm, I just started to get caught up because I let about forty issues pile up, and that in the Gold Digger world is almost an impossible task to get caught up because so much happens every issue. Um, they're in the Jade Realm. Uh, they're looking for Dreadwing on the one side. On the other side, there's these cosmic entities banging on the dimensional door trying to get into Jade Realm because there is a cache of mana, uh, an impossibly large cache of mana. They're like smelling it like catnip and they want it. And the edge guard is brought into the picture. Dreadwing's daughter, Deborah, who's another dragon. She's a platinum dragon, I think, is, is brought into the picture. Dreadwing, uh, Deborah's mother. It, it's incredible. And it's very manga and anime influenced. And there's, uh, fandom related things. Like there's a, a huge, there's a contingent of characters that are all based on Harry Potter and company. They're, they're called the wild magi. And, and the, the, the main, the, the head of them is called Harris. Come on. It's not too far removed from Harry Potter. It's just a cool book. And it's a hell of a lot of fun. There's fan service in it. I love it, but you probably won't read it. I realize that I'm, that I'm talking to people who will probably never read this book just because of its complexity. It's impossible to find a jumping in spot. Like I think around issue 200, he flipped the, the script and Gina became a teacher, uh, ushering the new uh, era of cosmic archaeologists and even then i don't think there was very much of a bump in sales because it's so dense it's so hard to get into this book so i'm just doing this for me basically because i love gold digger i think i i want you to read it but i'm i'm a realist and chances are very good you won't but i don't care because i love it oh there you go i think fred perry's a genius read what you love boo yeah and and read all new invaders because of mark lamey Mm-hmm. And then because read Fantastic of, Four because of Mark Lamming. That's right. I don't, I, I don't know how he pronounces his name. I don't like to say Laming because there's a, a component of lame in there, and that's one thing that Mark is not. Well, he's trying to so, flip the switch on that. Oh, he is? I say Lamming. That works. Yeah. He'll let you know. Because he's not lame Or you could just all. play back the intro that he did. He, oh, that's right. Um, In your travels... Uh, read anything Matt Wagner worked on. The, uh, there was, uh, um, uh, well I am, I, I, I said I'm not, I wasn't blowing smoke. I am about nine issues into the Zorro book that, that he wrote, that Frank Avia did the art for and, uh, they, they basically, they, Wagner has, um, taken a little bit from, the recent novels, some of the movies, and, and he's, uh, Matt has, I, I just made, uh, the, this is the, I don't know if I can call it official, but this is, this is Zorro's origin and, and, and how he came to be. And it, it was, it was pretty, um, it, it's, it's neat to see where the Batman where a lot of the roots came from. Uh, obviously, I mean, the shadow is there and of course Sherlock Holmes, but you know, I, I didn't know how, um, how involved the character of Zorro was to, um, 
to Batman's origins as the character um, evolved in, in some of his skills. But um, I, I, I did read a couple of things this week um, that Matt Wagner didn't write. Uh, one of them was um, uh, The Punisher, um, which was the first six issues um, were uh, were by written by Nathan Edmondson and uh, and art by Mitch Jarrods but the most recent two issues um, reminded me of back in the day when Mike Barron or Chuck Dixon were writing the Punisher and um, and seven and eight what they did is they 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 followed the events from the first six issues. So they, the end of issue six, something happens to Frank. The beginning of issue seven, we pick up not, you know, five minutes after the last issue ended, but it, it picks up right where it, it, it all makes sense how, how things, how we got from the end of number six to the beginning of number seven. And it's, it's, uh, it's not only written by Edmondson. It's, uh, it, it's co-written with um Kevin Marrer and the art team on these two issues were um Carmine Carnero and and Terry Pallet on inks and it told a different Punisher story not tied into the first arc and probably not so much tied into the next arc but it it still it didn't feel like we stopped the story we're telling so we can have someone else do art and here's a flashback or here's, you know, a different, here's a Frank Castle story where that doesn't fit in with the overall, uh, story we're telling. And, and it, this didn't feel like that. It, it absolutely bridges whatever, what, what the story is from before and where it's going next. Crossbones is in it. Uh, it, it's, it's a complete like side mission for Frank, but it all makes sense on how he got here. And I, I really, I just thought that that was a neat touch because you don't generally, most times you get a fill-in artist and it's, and even if you want to use that term, but you get somebody else doing the art for an issue or two so the main artist can catch a breather. And, and it's just a story that, you know, it, it fits like, it feels like an inventory story or an annual or just it, this did not. And, and I just, I really appreciated that. Uh, the other issue that I really dug was, um, Iron Fist the Living Weapon number four. And what was neat about this is what Andrews did with the fourth issue is he brought you back to events from the first issue, kind of told him from a different point of view. Um, and by the time you get to the end of the fourth issue, you're kind of where you were. In the third issue, but you didn't feel like you just wasted time reading a flashback. And it just, it, it all just worked. And, and again, it, it's one of those things where I, it, it was almost like I was, I wasn't fooled into enjoying this issue, but I just, I, I thought I was going to read the fourth issue and I was going to pick up where the third issue left off. But instead, I just, I had a different, it, I, I took a scenic route and it, it, uh, it really worked. And I'm, I'm still loving the hell out of, um, Iron Fist, the Living Weapon. So those are my in your travels this week. Wow, dang, that was passionate. Chat, chat it, man. Uh, yeah, no, it was good shit. Yeah, I like. Bring it. one of the man's too. favorite creators on, and he gets all talky. 
Look at that. Let's <laughs> be quiet next week. So uh, I I have much less to say about my inner travels, <laughs> but but I did I did read uh, as part of a deluge of Matt Wagner books in anticipation of his coming on. I read for the first time uh, the Batman Grendel stuff. Uh, in, I read it in the the uh, collected edition Batman Grendel, by, uh, printed by uh, well co-printed by Dark Horse and DC Comics, but uh, it looks like a Dark Horse trade dress. Uh, 1995 cover price, and it's the first time that both uh, Wagner, Grendel Batman uh, series were uh, collected together. Um, the first one, uh, which if I have to pick is 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 the one I, I prefer, um, is Hunter Rose coming to Gotham and set against Batman, and it feels very much like. Uh, a, a Moriarty Holmes story <laughs> where Hunter is be, be, and it makes sense right because Wagner created Grendel it's his character and he had by that point done a bunch of Batman stuff and so uh, Wagner treats Grendel as Batman's equal um, which I think he's probably the only creator that would have done that if tasked with this book because of his affinity for Grendel. And I think that's what you would have needed to do, but not at the expense of making Batman, not the character that you think of a Batman in the sense that, um, and, and I'm not spoiling much here because first of all, the book's old, but second of all, this happens very early in the story. Uh, for reasons that I won't go into Hunter Rose decides to, uh, pretend to be the Riddler. Um, and he sends a, a riddle out and commits a crime and in typical Batman fashion, the second he sees the riddle, he knows it's not actually from the Riddler, because he says, "This isn't a. This is a. This is the man. This isn't a riddle. The Riddler would have never written this." And he knows instantly. He doesn't even like. And everyone says, "Well, I don't know. I think it's the Riddler." He says, "It's not the Riddler." Um. So so Wagner <laughs> Wagner made Batman the badass that he should be, but he he makes Under Rose one of the best foils Batman ever had to deal with. Uh, and then the second story is, uh, with the aforementioned Grendel Prime cyborg, uh, coming to Gotham and Batman having to deal with that and Batman's older at this point. Um, that was cool too, for sure. Uh, both were a lot of fun. And as I told David before we started recording, uh, I don't think it's hyperbole for me to say this is maybe one of the better Batman stories I've ever read. Uh, it, it's, it's fantastic stuff. Uh, so I commend it to your attention. You want to hear something really weird and, and kind of ironic? You ever read it? No, I did. No. Um, whenever Wagner draws Batman, mm -hmm. and, and it's especially true of the, uh, the Monster Men stuff, I see George Reeves in the Batsuit. Oh wow. He's all barrel chested oh. and, and, and yeah, I, it just seems to me like George Reeves is, is underneath that cape in the collar. It's kind of, I don't, there's no indication that he used George to model his, the character, but that's the, the, uh, the feeling I get. And I like that feeling. Mm. So that's kind of silly, but I, I do. I feel that way. I love it. Oh, and yeah. one other thing. What else? The uh, Harvey Award nominations were released uh, this week. Nice. And, uh, as is typical, a bunch of our, uh, friends in the business and or creators that we adore, uh, were nominated. So, Big congrats to them. The likes of, uh, Mr. Kent was nominated multiple times for mind management. Uh, Daredevil was nominated across the board, including our, our, our buddy, Mr. Somni. 
The, the book itself was nominated. Mark Wade was nominated. Um, uh, 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 one that really, really made me smile. Um, Jeff Stokely was nominated as best artist for Six Gun Gorilla, uh, as well wow, as new, cool. as well as best, as well as newcomer of the year. So very, very excited for him. Um, uh, Terry Moore was nominated multiple times for Rachel Rising. Uh, hmm. Paul Pope, of course, got, uh, nominations. Uh, another personal favorite of mine, uh, and recent, uh, uh, tout of Vanessa Del Rey was nominated for her work uh, on Hit by Boom. Nice. Um, uh, Jordi Belair, uh, aka the hardest working colorist in the business, aka the uh, better half of, of, of Declan Shalvey, was nominated for best colorist, so that's cool. Um, just trying to She's a new Dave Stewart. For, right? I'm serious. <laughs> um, let's see here. Just going to Afterlife with Archie, nominated a bunch of times. Nice. Um, of course, Saga nominated a bunch of times. Uh, let's see here. That's about it. Those, those are the ones that, that, that stuck in my mind as people that I wanted to shout out. But uh, hey, cool stuff. And, and if you're in any way related to the industry, you can vote. Um, yeah, I, I don't... I know with the Eisners you can't vote if you're press. I'm not sure about the Harveys. I think they're less restrictive. Um, it, you do have to have some aff- affiliation with the comics industry, though, so I'm not sure if folks like us can vote. So, well, We never did before, but that would be kind of neat if we could. Well, the ballot's online. It's open. But you, you, when, you sign, when you sign up, you have to say what your, connect, your comics credentials are. So, again, I don't, uh, I don't know if... If it, it's not clear, they, they don't exclude press, like the Eisner say press is not allowed to vote. Um, this doesn't, it says all ballots must include professional verification, uh, voted on exclusively by creators, defined as those who write, draw, ink, color, letter, design, edit, or are involved in comics. So I don't, and then it says fans, retailers, distributors, and accounting personnel will not be counted. So they don't, they don't really address members of the press and podcasters one way or the other so Mm-mm. david would just have to write i'm dap damn it mm-hmm. and they'd say okay well we got to take those mm-hmm. folks mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah hey everybody thank you so much for being here with us once again thanks mr matt wagner for uh dropping some huge science on us and uh, as usual You can find next week's episode the very same place you found this one, and we really hope you'll return because we we love you so much, and, you know, that's why we do it. Yeah. Say goodnight, David. Goodnight, David. Goodnight, Matt. (laughs) I'll play later. That's probably not too far from the truth. Forget it. Bye.